Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Well, I guess this is the place to be. Are you really? Oh, okay. Are you sure it's Tuesday, though? Reported, reported. Yeah, you know, I didn't even think about it. Like I was saying, I sent you a message about 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of... I was writing something else. I've been working on an article that's actually due on Friday. And I just got to a point where I more or less finished the article. I got it ready. I mean, it'll need some more work. It's, it'll be about 2,500 words long and blah, blah, blah. I'll finish it up later on this week. Finished it up, and I kind of looked up, and it just crossed, holy cow, I'm supposed to program tonight. And usually I prepare some sort of a script, and I put a notice up on the on the blog to remind people we're doing the program. I forgot to get the notice up there. didn't get a script. I don't have an idea. I, I have a number of subjects. I mean, I have a bunch of things that I pulled down that we can talk about. Well, luckily, the world is in turmoil, and that helps us, uh, you know, make it this is? easy. I hadn't heard. What's going on? Oh, where do I begin? Let's see. Uh, Let us count the ways. Well, hey, more gun control is going to be in Chicago because they've been killing people again, and uh, have, they have the most uh, harsh gun control in the in the country. I mean, well, it so, sounds like a perfect solution. Yeah, so harsh even that, you know, because people go, well, now, wait a minute. Washington, D.C. might even be worse, or this might be worse. No, no. It might, you know, not, no. Chicago said... We're banning all guns. You can't have a handgun here. The Supreme Court told them, hey, you can't do that. You know, you can come up with rules and stuff, but you can't just say, under no circumstances, no way, only only the police can have guns. No. So they had to, you know, do a little revision on that. But they have the harshest gun control in the country, and they have the highest murder rate. I mean, those people in Chicago... Any opportunity that there is, like, it's dark out. You know, they just get to killing, and they're getting pretty proficient at it up there. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's amazing that they can achieve such proficiency when they can't even get their hands on any guns, because, after all, we have passed laws against them. They're and legal. I'm sure they'll be at least as effective as the drug control laws. Sure. How long have we had the war on drugs, Frank? Uh, 50 years? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, at least since Nixon. From what I remember, it was it was Nixon who really said, "Okay, we're having a war on drugs." I'm sure they had, you know, they were enforcing laws against drugs long before Nixon. But you know, he was—I think he was the one that coined the war on. Drugs. Yeah, I think that's probably right. You know, which we so don't have enough wars. Into the, the, the '60s, um, war on drugs again, 50 years old or more. Yeah, and it and it's know. just been an astonishing success. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'd probably have to walk <laughs> fifty or a hundred feet from my home to find somebody who was willing to sell me some drugs if I wanted. And if all else failed, you could. Now, just it used to be that I'd only have to walk twenty-five feet, but now <laughs> I have to walk fifty feet. You know, because uh, uh, at least if, if enough, all else fails, you can always go visit your doctor. And he's well, ready, yeah. to, and, he's ready and to give you some drugs. drugs. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. He's licensed. Yeah, I remember, who was it? It was Kelsey Grammer in one of the uh, um, one of the Cheers episodes years ago on TV. And he was fencing with some woman who was, 
don't remember if she was a psychic or a witch doctor or something <laughs> like that. And he agreed that the two of them provided virtually the same services with one exception. He was licensed to, to dispense drugs and she wasn't. There you go. That's yeah. it. That's that's it. You know, so yeah, all these, you know, and these aren't <laughs> the only two things either. I mean, it, it's almost as though you could point to nearly, nearly everything the government does and says, hey, we've got an idea and this is for your good and we're going to do this and it's going to be great. Always turns out bad. Always. Why do you suppose they are able to get away with that? They come out and they tell us it's for your good. It's for your safety. We're here to help you. That's the foundation, that's the cornerstone of most of these idiot laws. The Patriot Act, Obamacare, mm-hmm. you can name hundreds of them probably if you cared to look. I, I, you got a guess? No, I, 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 don't, I don't know other than it's human nature that anytime anybody says, I got something for free here, yeah, right. you free know, lunch. people can't help themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, and, and, you know, it's the one word, free. <laughs> it is the one word that is most easily, readily, and instantly recognized in advertising. Yeah. Right? If something's free, you got their attention. Need a penny? Got to pay for it with a... No, I'm probably not interested. Free? Absolutely. Count me in. Yeah. But beyond that, we have been, you know... it. it it goes to this idea of the free lunch and it getting something for nothing. But we have accepted the idea that the government is here to help us. They're at least making some sort of a genuine or tolerable effort to do us some good. But the founding fathers knew better than that, and that's why they drafted the Constitution as an anti-government document. That's why we have three branches of government, to keep the government fighting amongst itself rather than consolidating powers where it could focus on subjecting you, me, and all the listeners to tyranny and despotism. That's why we have freedom of speech, so you and I can shout and scream when we see the government doing something wrong, freedom of the press, uh, right to keep and bear arms. If push comes to shove, we can shoot the SOBs. That's the purpose of it. But it was all there, and they did it. They set it up that way with all the checks and balances, and the Bill of Rights was intended to protect us from despotism by the federal government. And they get away with their despotism, however, because, one, there's not one man in a hundred who's read more than a couple of pages of the Constitution, and probably not one in a thousand that studied it. And we've all bought into the nonsense that government is here to help us. See, now I'm all, I understand rhetoric and I understand, you know, not, you know, being ignorant and all that. But, I mean, how many centuries is it going to be before their actions, somebody starts noticing, wait a minute, every time you say you're going to do something to help me. Yeah, I know. I don't feel like I'm being helped. You yeah, know, I know, how many no, generations can you catch on? Because the help isn't free. Yeah. The lunch is free, but guess who's going to pay for it? One way or another, you're paying for the free lunch, and you're also paying for two free lunches for everybody in the government. Well, One for yourself and two for them. And that'd be the thing. You see, now, if, if they said, okay, who wants a free lunch? And everybody said, I want a free lunch. Okay, fine, line up over here. You get the free lunch. Oh, you people don't? 
well, then beat it. We don't want anything to do with you. But they don't do that. Yeah. They won't let you beat it. They, you know, no, no. They want and a free lunch, and you're going to have to cook it. Don't give me any crap about GMO foods. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, this lunch is for you, and you better. And if you know it's good for you, you better eat what the government provides. Yeah. Now they're like saying, "Hey, those people over there want a free lunch, and that means you're going to cook it, or else." You know, the big question about the Chicago rates of hom- homicide rates. I mean, one of them, what is the common denominator in the people who are being shot? I mean, certainly it involves a perpetrator who has a firearm. And I suppose there can't be much doubt that at least some of the victims also have firearms. But how many don't have firearms? How many are being shot because they don't have any firearms? And that's the question the people of Chicago should be asking themselves, and it is a tribute to the incredible ignorance, stupidity of the people of Chicago, not all of them, mm-hmm. but enough of them, maybe a majority of them, but enough of them to change the political structure down there, where they said, oh, we need to, we need to make even harsher gun laws to make sure that none of you honest people have any guns, and the only people who have guns are criminals. Because the government is here to help us, and they're going to wave a magic wand, and they're going to change the way the world works with nothing more than their alleged good intentions. But the world has worked this way for thousands of years. If you want to defend yourself, you need you need to have weapons. Well, you know, it's not rocket science to realize that, okay, uh, so you have laws against whatever. Here's the trick. Criminals don't care about laws. This is why no, no. they're criminals. I understand. <laughs> you know, I mean, I if they did, they wouldn't that. be criminals. Take the drug war. What has made the drug war so addictive? Money. Right. And why is there so much money in what might otherwise be just useless weeds, leaves off some trees? Why is there so much money in it? Oh, because it's illegal. Exactly. (laughs) If the government was not, if if the government hadn't criminalized these drugs, there wouldn't be any profit to be made in them. They'd be around. People would still be using them. I get that, but that's always been true. They've never been able to stop drugs completely anywhere. But you know, I mean, there's stories that that cavemen were drinking water out of holes in the rocks where the water and some grain grains (laughs) fell off of the off the plants and landed in the hole and they and they <laughs> fermented in the hole in the rock and the water became intoxicating. Some people think the cavemen were getting getting high on the alcohol. I mean for whatever reason as a species we have an appetite for drugs. Well, you know, and the, and also it works the other way because while you could walk 25 yards down the street and find somebody to sell you some drugs, I doubt you could walk a mile around you and find anybody selling bathtub gin. Yeah, I know. You and know. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Who's running a moonshine still within a mile of where I'm sitting right now? You know, there are probably, there could be, there's certainly 100,000 people within a mile of where I'm sitting, maybe several hundred thousand. And who's running a, who's running a still? And the answer is nobody. Yep. Now, who is running a drug dealing operation? 
All right. Multi-level, you know, multi-level marketing. Yeah, oh, yeah. That extends all the way from Colombia or Chile or someplace like that, all the way up here. Uh, yeah, we got that. Yeah. You know, and, and and the people of Chicago are, for whatever reason, they are dumb enough, they're weak enough, whatever, they allow the government to impose even stricter gun control laws. That's what's getting you people killed. Well, I honestly, I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to. I mean, this is something politicians seem as though they're, I don't know, they're like, it, it's the, the lights and the drooling dog thing. You know, they just don't, yeah. they just, this is, oh, shootings? Well, we need more gun control. Well, yeah. okay, maybe somewhere else in the country you might be able to say, all right, fine, let's look at that. But in Chicago, they can't have any more gun control. The Supreme Court already knocked them down. They tried that. And they said, no, you can't just ban these. You know, it's not constitutional for you just to go and say, no, nobody can have a gun no matter what. You have to have exceptions to that. Yeah, okay, fine. You want to give people tests, you want to make sure they're not crazy, whatever. But you can't just ban them. So that's where they were. They took a step back. Well, where, where is more gun control going to come from? What are they going to do? They're well, all gun control. Street executions or something like that. I think the 500 <laughs> years in prison for you and all of your offspring and your grandchildren and so on. I think all these people. Your genetic downline. I think all these people shooting each other. I think they've got the, you know, on the street execution thing going on. That's true. But, you know, I mean. Uh, that's true. They, the, the fact is they are out of gun control in Chicago. And now anybody in their right mind when you've tried something, whatever it is, to solve any kind of problem, and you get to the point where there's no more of that left and it hasn't worked, well, somebody with some sense would say, let's try something different. No. But no, no, no. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 we just need to. And that's the story of this government. When was the last time they dissolved some bureaucracy that they created? Uh, yeah. You know, they've got, <laughs> they've got a Sunset Commission here in Texas. And every 15, 17 years, something like that, any agency that's been that's been created by government has to go through the sunset procedure to see to see if it still performs a meaningful function or it should be discontinued. Now I haven't looked at this. I'll bet you in ten years, but you in the probably, 1990s, <laughs> you probably still got horseshoe inspectors out there. Probably do. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I wouldn't be surprised, but. <laughs> The the only in the 1990s, I don't know what it is today. There might be another one or two. Up until the late 1990s, there had only been one agency in the history of Texas that had ever been decommissioned once it got started. <laughs> and that was the Bull Weevil Commission. You oh. understand? Bull Weevil Commission has been sunsetted. Nothing else. So far as I know, it may be that there's one or two since since the 1990s. I don't know for an absolute fact. Oh. But the Bolivial Commission is gone. Everything else, once you get started, it goes on forever. You never do get rid of it. And that's part of the problem, and it's part of the reason why people need to read and study the Constitution. They need to understand that the Free Lunch Commission is going to drive you and your children and your grandchildren into poverty. There is no free lunch. Somebody's paying for it, and I guarantee it's not Hillary and Bill Clinton. No, they're broke. Right? 
Who's going to get who's going to get charged with the free lunch? Well, maybe not you. You might get a free lunch, but your kids are going to get the price. I guarantee they'll pay for it. Or maybe I'll get a free lunch and some of the other people in the audience will pay for it. But it's going to be the idiot taxpayers. They're the ones that are going to pay for the free lunch. And they say, oh, I'm going to get a free lunch. No, you're not. You're going to get it stuck to you, and you're not going to like it. You may not find out for a few years how it's working, but that's the way it goes. The Constitution was intended in significant degree to protect us all from the dangers of a free lunch. Was it Jefferson or one of the others that said, you know, we're in something to the effect that we're in big trouble once the people in a democracy recognize that they can empty the treasury? Yeah, I know. Um, I think it was the, the Tocqueville um, who wrote Democracy in America back in the early 1800s, I believe. Okay. And I think it was him who made the comment. And what he said is once they realize... Once you get in, once you get a democracy started, and the people realize they can vote themselves a free lunch, essentially. Mm-hmm. That wasn't precisely what he said, but once that's what it amounts to. Once they find out they can vote themselves benefits, he says it's only a matter of time before the collapse, the whole racket. And he didn't use the word racket, of course, but that's what it came down to. And we're out, and we're well on our way. Oh, yeah, I'd say, yeah, we're. We're, we're, you know, I mean, we've got all these problems with, okay, there's, you know, people shooting. In, and the thing about Chicago, too, you know, Chicago used to be an industrial area. Mm-hmm. People used to be able to get decent blue-collar jobs up in that area. And, right. you know, you didn't hear about all the, oh, boy, there are, you know, just every weekend, you know, 50 dead on the streets shooting each other. You know, uh, you didn't hear that. Now, hmm, you know, I, I don't think they shot this many people when Al Capone was running the racket yeah, up, in, right. up in Chicago. Yeah, that's probably right. You know? Yeah. They used that as an they used Al Capone as an excuse to get rid of the Tommy gun. Yeah. We can't have automatic weapons because it's too horrific and now we can't have any weapons at all. Won't be long before you won't be able to carry a pair of grade school scissors with little rounded ends on them to go cut out not if you want to fly in an airplane, you can. He <laughs> uh, won't be taking any of those. Nail one, clippers, too. One thing Obama could do to help with this, if he resign. really wanted to help the people of, of Chicago. Resign and become mayor? No. Oh, okay. No, that's, that wouldn't help. What he could do, though, is instead of handing out free cell phones to people, <laughs> you could see that they all get free six guns. Well, hey, maybe he should go up there and do a campaign speech about how we need gun control, because every time he seems to mention gun control, gun sales skyrocket. Yeah, that's, you know, it's one of the, a lot of people are probably investing in in gun manufacturing, manufacturers stock um, in the last, during the, during the Obama administration. I'm sure they've made, you know, he's made some people wealthy with his promises of gun control, but too bad for the uh, gun manufacturers if we get an ele- get a Republican elected in the 2016 election. That will probably diminish gun control dr- or efforts dramatically, and profits for gun manufacturers will fall dramatically, and we'll have a lot of trouble over that. So, I would imagine the gun control or the gun manufacturers are secretly funding the Democrats. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Or somebody 
Would you? We'll give you a bunch of money if you promise to advocate gun control. Yeah, because it's working <clears throat> really good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, you know, it's hard to believe. I because I I don't put anything past them, but I mean, it's hard to believe that could be their plan. But if it's not their plan, I mean, he just must be horrified by, you know. I'm going to get up here and I'm going to tell everybody why they don't need guns and they're going to listen because no, they all love me. Believe me. <laughs> They'll all do as I say because I am the master and I know how to convince these people. They love me and I'm black. Uh huh. Exactly. You know, it's like John Kerry always saying, you know, when I was in Vietnam, you know, I mean, these two guys, I mean, it's, yeah, okay, great, you know, but have you ever done anything else? Yeah. Oh, well, let's not talk about that. You know, yeah, I understand. It's and then I don't know what's going to happen. And this is one of the least clear election cycles that I I can remember because I cannot imagine Hillary Clinton surviving. No, I think she's toast. Uh, but she's always been a manipulative, you know, behind the scenes controller. Uh, you know, so who's she going to back, and and what's going to who's that going to be, and. Well, you know, one of the things we need to think about... Can Bill run again? Is after, no, he's done. Oh, okay. He's done. I don't think he'd want to go to Washington if he couldn't bring Monica along with him, so he's not... Uh, and the other thing is he's hoping Hillary wins because he's going to stay in Arkansas. Yeah, he's, made, he's having a lot more fun now. He's Absolutely. making a lot more money. Absolutely. So he's rooting for Hillary. Um, you go, girl. Yeah. Get yourself and hang on, stay out there. But, you know, one of the things I'm thinking about is this. <laughs> there, there is some sort of a hierarchy of officials who will become president if the previous, if the incumbent president dies. We all know that if Obama died, that Joe Biden would become, who isn't currently vice president, Joe Biden would become president. For a little while. And if Joe Biden died, then I think it's the oh God, uh, John Speaker Boner. of the House. I think yeah. it's Speaker of the House of Representatives. And if he died, then it's probably somebody out of the Senate. Yeah, the, it'd be uh, McConnell. Uh-huh. And if he dies, then we start going through the officers. Secretary of State. I think Secretary of State is next, which means Hillary only has to kill. Obama, <laughs> Biden, uh, Boehner, McConnell. Yeah. And she could be and, and president without even having to go through the trouble of an election. Well, she'd have to get rid of John Kerry and take her old job back, too. Because, you know. Well, that might be true. Yeah, there, that's the, yeah, you're right. I, I was thinking she was still secretary. Oh, she missed her chance then, didn't she? Yep, didn't get She's the not killing fast enough. state any longer, I guess. Uh, I guess that. So just she should have went that. up to Chicago. They could have shown she her. Could whack him, she could whack him just for sports. Yeah, she might. It just out of, but, out of uh, just, you know, once she realizes she doesn't get to be president, she might just mm -hmm. do that just because. Uh, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, what else have we got? I don't know, but who do you, uh, who can you imagine as a Republican? I mean, I, I we talked about it earlier on the program today with Melody. Donald and Trump. She pointed out, yeah, Trump. You know, I mean, possibility. I mean, I mean, that's for sure. The reality. Well, you know, who can you imagine as a Democrat? There's at least two other Democrats now. There's one that just announced today, and he is coming out of Vermont. 
and I don't recall his name. Bernie Sanders? I don't know. I don't know if that's right or wrong. Uh, but he is, on the political spectrum, he's allegedly to the left of Hillary. That's Bernie Sanders, yeah. He's a, Probably. a socialist. Now, he wouldn't be doing this unless he kind of smelled blood and he thought, you know, I don't think Hillary's going to make it. This thing's going to go up for grabs. There's already one other guy, I think Mallory or Malloy or something like that. He was the governor of uh, uh, Maryland. Uh Well, he's one that's in there right now. And I think there are going to be, there's going to be a fairly full contingent of Democrat candidates before we get to the end of this year. I think they have to the end of this year in order to sign up for the 2016 election. And you've got to figure that the governor of Maryland has got to be pretty much a D.C. insider. You know, I mean, because Maryland is basically part of D.C. and, you know, so is Virginia. And, you know, it's right there. Yeah. If you're the governor of that state, you've got to be schmoozing with every dirtbag in D.C. Mm-hmm. And they were great friends with uh, the Clintons had said in the past that he was the best governor uh, in the United States. Uh-huh. It's going to be tough for her to come out and start tearing them to shreds. Uh, try. I don't know if she even lasts that long. We talked earlier today, or I was talking about it earlier today, where in our recent article in one of the more or less mainstream publications points out that Hillary is probably toast mm-hmm. based on the email that are being released now dealing with Benghazi, where she clearly just sat on her hands and could have made an effort to save four Americans, including... I don't remember Chris, whatever his name was. He was an ambassador, whatever, system ambassador or something. I mean, I saw a photograph of that guy when he was being killed. Yeah, not pretty. No, not in the least. He died hard, and it was not just a bullet in the head of the heart or something like that. It wasn't even just getting your head cut off. The man was tortured to death. Right, and he was screaming, and you could see the people around him were just grinning and laughing, the Muslims around him. Um, this happened because both Hillary and Obama did nothing. They had the opportunity to send in some sort of military aid. If it was fighter jets, it just started to light up the area around the embassy or facility they had there. Um, there were things that could have been done, nothing was done, and Hillary later said, what difference does it make? Hmm. And the difference now, I bet she, I bet she understands what the difference is now. That it's going to probably cost her uh, an opportunity to even win the Democratic nomination. Well, and they had a team ready, like they always do. When there's any kind of ambassador out and about doing any anything like he was doing, they have teams ready. They always have teams ready. I mean, they have teams on, you know, always ready. I mean, we got wars going on everywhere, you know, so they're ready. They could have had people there, and they didn't, and and it would have been more than just fighters, you know. I mean, Why they, didn't they? Yeah, I don't know. I have no fighters idea. Fighters could have been there in a matter of minutes. I don't know. I, I You know, it couldn't have taken a half hour. Nope, and I, I have no idea. I thought from the beginning, for some reason, Obama and Hillary Clinton wanted that ambassador killed, and I don't know why. I understand. That's the way it appears. And I don't understand why. What was there to be gained? I mean, I'm not saying that's. I'm not saying that they were motivated to do that. But why let four Americans die? Just let them die. I mean, they had to know this was going to be publicized. 
Yeah. They had to understand that they should have had brains enough to see what would come of this, and yet they proceeded and let four guys die. I don't care if they were street sweepers. Somebody well, should have made an effort. Someone yeah. should have at least thrown a plane over and dropped some paratroopers down onto the ground, and, and maybe they found the body, have bodies a half hour later or something, but some effort should have been made. No effort was made. Well, and that and that what what difference does it make? And that speaks to the idea that well, okay, why? I mean, what? Obviously, they knew. Yeah, somebody's going to find out about this. This is going to be public. People are going to know. This is going to cause us trouble. But whatever trouble they were getting rid of by getting rid of whoever was there and dead was more important than the trouble they were going to face from this being public. You know, I don't know what they, you know, we've heard both Rahm Emanuel and Hillary Clinton have laughed that a crisis is a terrible mm -hmm. thing to waste, meaning that the crises aren't something that the government wants to terminate. They want to exploit the crises. And, oh, oh my gosh, look, oh, this is terrible. This is awful. Give me all your rights and your money and your guns and whatever else that will protect you from this crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they try to exploit the crises. Um, and some people think they make the crises. Yeah, for example, with the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and Building 7, they believe that these buildings were collapsed in 9-11-2001. They were collapsed uh, for, the cr for the sake of creating a crisis that would lay the foundation for passing the Patriot Act, among others. Yeah, I'm one of Moving those Moving this people. country in the direction. Yeah, I know that. Probably everybody listening to the program is one of the people who believe that. And there's good reason. It's not just some bizarre conspiracy theory. I mean, those buildings collapsed like, collapse like pancakes, and we can argue about, building, about the Twin Towers. Mm -hmm. You might be able to make the case. I don't think you can. I don't think it's structurally possible for those buildings to have collapsed pancake style just because they were hit by airplanes not for the interior uh cement structure to you know just dissolve no i don't think so i don't think it was ever possible but some people are going to think that but you can't give me a credible explanation for building seven falling to the ground at the speed of gravity seven seconds 43 stories if i recall correctly and they're collapsing to the ground and over what a waste paper basket fire in the center of the building? <laughs> yeah, and, and then there's the Pentagon. You know, that can't that be I explained understand. either. You know, Where's the bodies? Where are the engines of the aircraft? The luggage allegedly not just a missile. It was, you know, aircraft, at least two, four engines. You know, the whole thing. And what is astonishing to me, the government just keeps chugging on, and they refuse to even give it any credibility. They're not even looking to see what's going on. It just happened, and people are just going to say, we don't, you know, they're not going to pay any attention to it, and they just keep on going, and we can wonder what the next atrocity is yeah. going to be that's committed against the American people by the American government in the process of generating another crisis that's sufficient to bullshit us, oh, what, excuse my French, what really into abandoning more of our rights to the to the to the, uh, the the fascists 
in Washington. What really gets me, though, is, you know, I mean, I get the government, and they're just going to grow and grow and do everything they can get away with. And the bigger they get, the worse it's going to get. But then on the other hand, we have media. And the media is the ones that are absolutely covering up for these people. And, you know, it's just... I mean, look, I get being rich and all that is great, but, I mean, really, it's, it, it's, I don't know how to describe it other than maybe a mental illness or something, or maybe they're possessed or, or something, because when you That's sit there... That's because you're not rich. And, well, you become... See, if you were rich, then you would understand these things. Maybe. But being a member of the middle class or the lower middle class or whatever it is, this is beyond your comprehension. But rich people know that all of you middle-class people would like to steal their money. Well, you know, maybe we would have liked to steal their money, but it's getting to the point where we want to string them up now. You know, <laughs> yeah, so get the money. Not, Keep the money. Yeah, just, this, yeah. this isn't getting better for them. You see, that's the sickness of it. It's like, look, I understand getting rich and all that. That's great. But, you know, when it gets to the point where you amassing wealth and power is destroying your own family and your own place where you live and you're basically crapping in your own bed, it's like, wait a minute. Don't you see this is probably a bad idea? You know, it is almost encouraging on one level. Because if what you're saying is correct, it implies that the people who engage, who buy the congressmen and the senators and the presidents in order to pass laws to allow them to extract and ex ex extort unearned profits out of the people, more money for the, for the filthy rich, mm -hmm. all right? And they don't get it by working hard. This isn't a Horatio Alger story. This is a story where they go down and they bribe congressmen and senators and they say, pass this law so I can make more money off of Joe Sixpack. And the Congress says, sure, Joe doesn't ever give me any money, doesn't even buy me a beer. I don't represent Joe, I represent whoever it is that gives me money. <clears throat> the, the, the super rich are making their money, in my opinion, primarily off of laws that, government's being that are being passed by government because the super rich are paying them to pass those laws. Um, that being the case, they ought to be living in a state of terror. Well, and they because may be. They ought to be scared to death. That, oh my gosh, you know, it seems like such a great idea to bribe the Congressman Smith back five or ten years ago. And I got myself a new corporate jet and another mansion and, you know, a newer wife with a bigger set of bazooms. But now I'm beginning to wonder if maybe the public's going to find out. <laughs> what yeah. they, and what will they do if they find out I've been robbing them all these years? That I'm not, that I didn't earn my my pay I didn't earn it honestly. I essentially stole it by means of bribing people in government to pass laws that served me rather than the general welfare. Yeah, and Hillary's already used up the whole what-does-it-matter-anyway excuse, no, so no. that won't work again. I doubt anybody's going to try that excuse for a while. You know, I was looking at something in the article I was where I talked about at the beginning of the program. I've been writing an article that uh, references three news items from different sources in the last 10 days or so. And what they point out is Bill Gross, for example, who is a multi-billionaire and was the head of, what, PIMCO and briefly the head of Janus Capital Investments, and they fired him. Um 
multi-billionaire. He's been around Wall Street, you know, basically all of his life. He knows how the game is played. He is an insider. And yet he writes an article, or he's interviewed in an article, where he says he thinks he knows what's happening, but he says only he has a sense that the end is near. <laughs> now, he doesn't have any hard information. He doesn't know what's going on, and this guy's a multi-billionaire. He doesn't know. We had another article in there that complained that the Federal Reserve, this was from Newsmax, and it complained that the Federal Reserve had no longer had the tools to control the economy. And the implication is they don't have, if that's true, they don't have the tools, they're not in control. It's the same thing with Bill Gross. He doesn't know what's going on. If he doesn't know, who does? Well, I was reading it. Which means if no one knows, no one is in control. And then we had an article from uh, that was ultimately quoting Goldman Sachs where they are admitting they don't understand what's going on. They're worth about $800 billion. They have assets of $850 billion, if I recall correctly. All right? They've been around since 1869, and they've got a document out from... Goldman Sachs, where they're saying, we don't know what the heck is going on here. Which means, and if they don't know, who does? And if nobody knows, if no one knows what's going on, and the, and, and the, the traditional, the classical devices they use to control the economy of adjusting interest rates or, or the money, money supply, if that no longer works and it doesn't, they've held the money, they've held the interest rate down near zero for six years now anyway. May, what is it, six years? I about that. And it's had no meaningful effect. I, I was reading an article that basically says because they've held it down so long and it didn't have the desired effect, they cannot raise it. No, I know. They're caught in what, what has been referred to as a Keynesian trap. They've lowered their interest rates so low that now they don't dare raise them. Now they are caught mm-hmm. down there, and they can't mess with this thing without making things worse. Much the worse. The point to all of this is that if they can no longer control the economy, if they're no longer really in control of the markets, right? and that's the implication, then are we on the verge of regaining a free market? If there's no longer meaningful government control of the markets, does that mean by default that we're falling back to a free market? And if we are, what will that free market do? I mean, you know, there was the movie A Few Good Men back in 1992 with... Tom Cruise and Demi Moore. Demi Moore? I think Demi Moore and Jack Nicholson. And Nicholson at one point has these Colonel Nathan Jeffers or something like that. Yeah. All right? And at one point he's there in a witness stand in the courtroom and he says, The truth? You can't handle the truth. Well, I'm going to argue that we would get the truth out of a free market. All right, what we've been getting from the government is lies. They're holding up the Dow Jones at 18,000, and I don't think it's supporting itself at that level. I think it's holding that level because of government artificial manipulation and artificial support. And that means the 18,000 level is a lie. And when we talk about the truth, you can wonder if anybody can handle the truth. I think the truth might be that the Dow Jones is due for a fall down to four or 5,000. Some people argue that. I don't know whether it's going to go to 10,000 or 4,000 or 50,000. I don't know what it's going to do, but some people think it could call fall to four or 5,000. 
I think it could. If it did, if it did that's the truth coming out of the free market. See, if I think it could might go to ten thousand dollars an ounce instead of being suppressed around twelve hundred. How many people can handle that truth? See, your What's average happen to this country. What's going to happen? Well, one of the, the truths well, to four or five thousand. One of the truths that will come from that fall is to show that look, these companies, these corporations, their stock value has nothing to do with their productivity anymore. It used to be that well, hey, you know, if you made a lot of things and sold a lot of stuff and made a lot of money, your stock was more valuable. That's no. not the case anymore. They don't have to produce anything for their stock to go up anymore. One of the things that that, that uh, Goldman Sachs was complaining about in the article I was, or it was incorporated in part into the article I'm writing, they're complaining that they don't know what the real inflation rate is, <laughs> and because they don't know, they can't find it out. What's the real inflation rate? They don't know what is. This is a fundamental factor in determining what is our gross domestic product. You can't calculate the gross domestic product accurately unless you know how much inflation. So, in fact... The government's been cooking the books. So, in they fact, Goldman Sachs... So Nobody knows what the truth is. And without the truth, they don't know where we are. They don't know if the economy is growing or, fa or, or falling. So, in fact, Goldman Sachs is saying to everybody, the government's lying about well, these numbers. Government. That was my that was my addition well, to the but article. But if Goldman Sachs will say we don't know what the real inflation rate is, well, well gee, right. the government puts out the inflation rate every every month, and they're lying about it. Apparently, right? Goldman Sachs thinks they are. They're telling you flat out that without knowing the real inflation rate, they can't calculate the gross domestic product, and without knowing the gross domestic product, they have no way of calculating real productivity, which is however much the gross domestic product increases or decreases divided by the number of man hours work. That's how they calculate productivity. And there's more complex than that, but that's the general idea. You have to know how much extra money are we making this year as a nation, and you divide it by the number of hours we worked, and we compare that to the to the number we got last year when we took the amount of how much money did we really make last year and divide it by the number of hours we worked last year and you had a number. So you compare the two numbers and it gives you an accurate, at least it gives you an indication of whether we are really getting stronger or we're getting weaker. But every he year... Says, you don't know, we can't tell because we don't, we don't know what the real inflation rate is. And plus every year the government comes up with new and exciting ways to count. I understand. Oh, this year we're going to do this, and we're going to include these things where we didn't last year. And, well, if you do that, then you have no comparison. They were talking that the Federal Reserve is ready to try an untested procedure for trying to manipulate the economy. Oh, great. Okay, and they use the word untested, which means what? It means whatever's been tested in the past, like raising the interest rate or lowering the interest rate or raising the money supply or lowering the money supply, hasn't worked. So we're going to try something untested. They are trying something completely new. And here's their idea. They have, for the past several years, they've been trying to stimulate the economy by essentially getting, encouraging people to spend more money. Consumers, get out there and spend. But what the new untested strategy is, is the Federal Reserve will lend money. No, 
they will pay money, excuse me, pay money to the banks to deposit their money with the Federal Reserve rather than lending it to the American people. <laughs> the yeah. result is they're going to make it less possible for people. They, were, they are upset that the people didn't go out and spend, spend, spend. That's what they want them to do to stimulate the economy. <laughs> and now they're saying, forget that. We're going to make it less possible for these people to spend, spend, because we're going to shrink their access to, cre- to credit by competing with the public. We're going to punish them. It, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're so desperate for currency themselves to offset the, the balance sheet at the Federal Reserve. I don't know what they see coming, but this is simply, it's insanity. It's a kind of madness. It's, oh, we're going to stimulate the economy by getting people to spend more money. And now they're saying, no, we're not. We're going to stop them from spending money. And the Fed is supposed to be improving the economy, and they are proposing an untested formula that will actually slow the economy down even further. Well, I think this their whole their whole admission and their whole way of doing things is is great evidence that they should be disbanded, because their whole premise for existing is to stabilize the economy. Oh, yeah. Well, they have they have failed. That are kind of that are kind of at odds with each other. One is to control inflation, allegedly, and the other one is to minimize unemployment. That's my understanding of their two missions. They don't control inflation. They try to cause inflation, and they have successfully done so for most of my lifetime, which is why a dollar is worth less than a nickel today compared to what it was even in the 1970s. They want inflation. But now, in the last year, we've had evidence of deflation. And massive unemployment. I understand. You know, and that might be their mission, but the premise that the Federal Reserve Act was passed on was to to control the boom-bust cycle. Yeah, I understand that. You know, and hey, if that's the premise... Economics. Yeah, but you know, if that right there is the intent of the law, they have shown they have failed. They have failed know, decade they, after decade. Here's the problem, and you would think they would have to pay a penalty for that, but insofar as they're they're allowed to print money, yeah, uh-huh. they don't have to pay penalties because there's always someone that, well, I would like, you know, the great unwashed, we get free lunches. If you're in a position of power that might affect the Federal Reserve, you can get a free mansion, maybe two of them if you play your cards right. Now, let me ask you, because I've thought about this, and I I know there's got to be a downside to it, but uh, compared to what they've done, what if they just decided to say, okay, uh, instead of doing this whole bank thing, we are going to, we're just going to give every American $10,000. Oh, please. Not until the Messiah is among <laughs> I'm just, us. You understand that? I'm just saying, that would stimulate uh-huh. the economy. Sure it would. It would be the most effective thing. You know why? Because the average person, you give him 10 grand, and he's going to spend 15. By this time <laughs> next week, he'll be another five in debt. Yep. You understand that? He, people spend the money. You give the money to the rich, and they have this trickle-down theory, bunch of crap. The rich don't spend a nickel, all right, of but they don't money. have to. You give them a billion dollars, and they aren't going to spend it and let it trickle down to Joe Sixpack. Now, they'll find a way to spend your ten bucks with no, their billion dollars. They'll find a way to buy Joe Sixpack's house. That's <laughs> yeah. what happened. And put Joe out on the street. They might do that, but they aren't going to put any money in. It isn't going to trickle down to Joe. He isn't going to get it. It's but if you give the money to the great unwashed, 
They'll spend it as fast as it comes in the door. And it will stimulate the economy. Yeah. The great unwashed are irresponsible, but the fact is they will stimulate the economy. The, the, the super wealthy, they're responsible. They're not irresponsible. They're responsible, but they aren't going to spend a nickel if they don't have to. You know, so you give them money, it's a bad idea. It's just not going to work out. Oh, yeah. I mean, but they've already tried. Hey, that's an untested thing. Why don't they try that? You know, I mean, rather than saying, okay, our new untested thing is to not loan any money to anybody. We'll give money. We'll give money to the blacks, and that's just enough to keep. Here, we're going to give you black people some money. That'll be just enough to keep you stoned on Ripple or crack or whatever you need, uh, where you don't go out and riot. Well, apparently they need a little more money because of uh, welfare is for black people right now. It's fire insurance to keep cities from being burned to the ground. Well, somebody's behind in their payments because yeah, well, uh, you know. <laughs> well, it's. And you're right. in Baltimore and all these, you know, they better get up with their payments because, uh, you know. And those payments are not just welfare. All right, I can make my little sarcastic jokes and the rest of that, but it's not just welfare. Those payments are keeping jobs in this country. Instead of sending our jobs to third world nations, instead of inviting illegal aliens into this country to take jobs that would otherwise go to blacks. Well, and I honestly believe that that is probably most of our problems. Mexicans are coming in, taking black jobs. Other jobs are being sent. Industrial jobs are being sent to China. Uh, Melody was reading some article where, I don't remember what corporation it is. Oh, General Motors, if I remember correctly. And they're going to spend, I don't know how many billion dollars over the course of the next year, the next several years, in order to upgrade their plants. Mm-hmm. The only thing they said is... Uh, but that there's no plan to hire more people. Yeah, we're not going to need them. We're going the That's robot right. thing. That's right. They're going to robotize the factory. And the people that don't, you know, jobs that can't be done by robots, uh, this power company, major power company in California, fired all its IT people and hired all new IT people on H-1B visas because they work for... Anywhere from twelve to nineteen thousand dollars a year less. Plus, their their existence in this country depends on them having that job. So when you tell them, "Oh, yeah, I know, uh, it's an eight-hour shift, but you're going to work ten, and we're only going to pay you for eight, but that's going to be okay because you're not going to want to say anything because if you do, we'll send you back to India." And this is, they're doing this. So, you know, I mean, you know, okay, uh, how is this going to work out good? I mean, they're, they're See, taking the everybody's they've job. Got, part of this is this short-term mentality where corporations are only interested in what their profit margin is going to be in the next quarter. And they do things, they unemploy people, all right, and they cut their costs. And you can see that the stockholders are going to say, yay, we have more profits, we have more dividends, we have whatever. But we've just put some number of people out of business, out of work. And some of those people are going to be angry. They're going to lose their families and their homes, and things are going to go bad for them. And some of them are going to be so angry, they're going to start fires or do whatever. We can't just think in terms of how much money can we make if I fire the next six people who walk in the door. Right? We got to start thinking in terms of the community and say, look, we got to keep it. We have to actually maintain jobs, and even if it means that the corporation has to work at a lower product at a lower profit level, we've got to keep these people in jobs. Well, sure. I mean, if they don't, where are they going? 
What do you think they're going to do besides rob banks before this is all over? Look at a corporation like Apple. Okay, now they have a product, a very popular product, the iPhone, the i, everything else, right? Well, these suckers are selling for between five hundred thousand dollars a piece, and they're making them in China for less than twenty bucks a pop. Yeah. Now they could bring them to America. Yeah, maybe you have to pay a hundred bucks to make them. You're still making between five and a thousand, but that isn't enough. I know. You see, that's a, you, and you know, it's a classic example of what we're talking about. And the other point is this. What happens? You know, if you were selling those iPhones here in the United States and you sold them for 500 bucks or $1,000 and the money stayed in the United States, it wouldn't be a bad thing. No. But when you take that money out and it goes to foreign countries, there is a multiplier effect. And we are impoverished by that loss by several times. The size, the price, the price of the uh, the price of the iPhone, the price of whatever the gadget is. You know, the, it's not. We pay a thousand dollars for it. We don't lose a thousand. We lose three to seven thousand dollars in this multiplier effect, and we are impoverished. We're being ruined by foreign trade. Well, and we're not only. You know, that was the old idea that oh, okay, you're building these somewhere else, so somewhere else is making all that profit. Well. Somewhere else really isn't making all that profit because Apple, where they worked them, these people, they had to go to the thing to, oh, yeah, I know our solution. Let's put nets around the building because people were so happy with their job, they were jumping off the roof at lunchtime. Yeah. You know, so it's not those people. What's happening no, is these guys, these guys are, are making. Raped. They're no, being these, raped over They them. are, and, and all this money it's, is just going to Apple and Apple's right. stockholders. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And those are the greedy bastards that are helping to wreck this country. You know, and, and they could be making a, a tidy profit by making those phones here in the United States, paying yep. a livable, decent wage, yep. and still making a pile of money. Exactly. But they, but it, it's they, not they enough. A mountain of money, and there's the problem. The, you know, the people that are getting to the top right now are the psychopaths, as you understand. Mm-hmm. Or just so greedy for money that I don't care how much they got. Got a billion? Not enough. Two billion? Ten billion? Fifty billion? A hundred trillion? It's not enough. There's still some money out there that they don't have, and they want it. Yeah, that's insanity. That's huh? just... It is. It is. It's a kind of madness. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you see that they talk about in the in in the Bible where they start predicting what will happen in end times. Well, lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of commercials. Uh, we yeah. have to run a couple of commercials just to show that we can. <laughs> we haven't taken any breaks so far this program. We're going to run a, commercial, a couple of commercials now. And Frank and I will be back in a moment. Please stay tuned to American Independence Hour.
countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Here at the American Independence Hour with Frank Stephan, co-host, and uh, we're broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas, member state of the Perpetual Union style, the United States of America. I'm a man made in God's image as per Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I'm endowed by my creator with certain unalienable rights as per the Declaration of Independence, and this program is only intended for men and women who are made in God's image. So... Let's do a little law. I sent you a copy of a case that's Comptroller of the Treasury of Maryland versus Wynn. I assume you got that, right? Yeah, I, I, I see it here, and I've read the first couple of paragraphs, but it's yeah, lengthy. I, yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it's a Supreme <laughs> Court case, but we're not going to get be much beyond the first couple of paragraphs. Um, up at the top, I get a... I get a digest from Find Law, where they send a copy of all the constitutional law cases that were heard on a particular day, and you can. There are a number of different subjects. There might be twenty or thirty of them, 
and they will send you uh, the cases that day that dealt with constitutional law, or another one will be, who knows, uh, trust law, if there's anything that dealt with trust law. And they, you know, they divide up. A nice survey, more than I can read, um, but I look at it. And what turned me on to this one, they just have a little blurb that explains. They send you an email, today's email, I bet I had six or eight different constitutional uh, cases that involve constitutional law, and one of them says United States Supreme Court 518-2015, Comptroller of the Treasury of Maryland versus Wynn, number 13-485. Maryland's personal income tax scheme, this is what their scheme, this is the teaser, essentially. If you're interested, you can read more. But the teaser, it's only one sentence in this case. Once in a while, sometimes they give you two, three, four sentences. This one has only one sentence. It says, Maryland's personal income tax scheme, which consists of a state, and they have the word state in, in quotes, which is interesting to me, income tax, and a county income tax, violates the dormant commerce clause of the federal constitution. I saw that what makes what what is the dormant commerce clause of the federal constitution and why is it dormant? Frank, do you have an answer for me? Well, just under the oh. idea dormant, I guess it's not being used. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, then and, and as far as I'm used? concerned, they use it all the time. They overuse it. They're always no, saying I don't think they do. Clause. I don't think they do because if you read and I've I, I I haven't had a chance to read this case, all right? So we'll be winging it here and maybe making some mistakes. But there's things to be derived out of this, all right, and things to be learned. And, in fact, I read down, I read enough, a couple of paragraphs down and held, uh, it says, Maryland's personal income tax scheme violates the dormant Commerce Clause. This is from the Supreme Court. And they go on and they say the Commerce Clause, which grants Congress the power to regulate commerce among the several states, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3, as a further negative command known as the Dormant Commerce Clause. Now, that's where we're going to find out, and I haven't read what that means yet, but we will learn, well, maybe we'll get into it far enough where we can understand it in this program, but I just don't get, what do we have, an unwritten Commerce Clause that is dormant. What is that? And I don't know yet. I, I, I have no idea. But they do tell us that they're talking about the Commerce Clause. And the Commerce Clause, again, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 of the Constitution of the United States. And it's talking about the powers, the limited powers, of the Congress and the federal government to... Uh, <clears throat> that can be exerted in relationship to the states of the Union. And Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 is a single sentence, and it says to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with Indian, Indian tribes. Now, uh, when they say several states, Frank, what are they talking about? Well, the original states of the Union. The That's all it Union. can be. You know, right. so maybe that's the part that's uh, dormant is that this applies well, to the states. Well, we'll see. I don't know. I'm not. We're probably not going to get an answer on that in this in this program, but we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe we'll get into it deep enough where we'll 
begin to get a little closer on this. But when we talk about the Commerce Clause, it says to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. At no point does it say anything about interstate commerce. No, or the people. Yeah. Well, the people are perhaps implied by the several states, but it may mean that that it can commerce well, can only be taxed that goes between the states of the union rather than the people of the states of the union. Hard to say exactly right. what it means. Well, down but here, interstate. The word interstate does not appear. The closest they get is commerce among the several states. There is no reference to interstate commerce. I don't believe that interstate commerce, I believe, I strongly suspect that if you chase down the meaning of interstate commerce, you're going to discover it does not flow from the limited powers under Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 of the Constitution. I don't think that's where we get our interstate commerce. I think we get it out of Article 4, I think uh, 2... Let me see if I can remember. Take a look here. Uh, Article 4, Section 3. Mm, No, Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2. That's it. The Congress shall have power to dispose of and make all needed rules and regulations respecting the territory or other property belonging to the United States. And nothing in this Constitution shall be so construed as to prejudice any claims of the United States or any particular state. I think what they're telling us here in Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2, Congress has exclusive legislative jurisdiction over all of the territories and any other property in the United States. If you were in a state of the United States rather than a state of the Union, and I believe that this, uh, I believe that distinction is viable. If you were in a state of the United States, Congress has exclusive legislation to do whatever they want in those states. State of the Union, limited powers. If you're in limited powers, they can regulate commerce among the several states and with the Indian tribes and foreign nations. Well, now, when they say but among the several states... But if you're in a state of the United States or a territory of the United States or a district of the United States, they have absolute power and control. Right. Because- and I think that's where we get, I'm guessing, I don't know it to be true, but I'm guessing that that's where we get interstate commerce. Not commerce among the states of the Union, interstate commerce. I think it implies the states of the United States, the territories of the United States, Washington, D.C. Well, when they mention it, I mean, they, they, you know, the states, the tribes, these are not people, okay? These are not regulating commerce between private businesses in separate states. They're, yep. they're talking about commerce between the, among the states. Mm-hmm. Now, and then... Uh, people might go, well, yeah, but that's very limited. And what kind of business is that? Well, business like taxation. And they talk about that right here. It says also a further negative command known as the dormant commerce clause. You know, and then they give another case. And it says, which precludes states from discriminating between transactions on the basis of some interstate element, meaning you can't tax something more just because it's coming from another state. It's got to be all the same. That's the power of maybe that. Maybe. But it does say of some interstate element. You can't discriminate between transactions on the basis of some interstate. And this is the first time I've, you know, this is, this is where 
I'm seeing interstate versus commerce among the states of the union. And I think this is opening the door. I'm going to read this with the idea of seeing if it opens the door to... Well, it, it goes on to, ex- to explain, it, thus inter alia, a state may not tax a transaction or incident more heavily when it crosses state lines than when it occurs entirely within the state. You know, that's state business. State business is taxation. And, you know, this is part of the state business. And they say up above that this is part of the dormant commerce clause. And dormant might mean that, look, yeah, there's a commerce clause between the several states of the union, but it's dormant because we're not doing that anymore. We're doing, you know, the United States states and uh, interstate commerce, and that's what we're we're all doing. You know, because what do you th- I've heard that dormant thing, you know, many times even among state governments that people believe, and I'm not sure they're wrong, but you know, the state, the state of the union government is vacant, basically. Seems to be. Well, and why is it vacant? Another why word for that have, would why be... Why would it have to be vacant? Or why is it reasonable to suppose that it's vacant? Well, if there's no people... No, you know, everybody's people. A, people are there, but the government's not there. I believe the people of the state are still there, but the government is not. And I think the reason is Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 of the Constitution, which says no state shall make anything but gold and silver mm-hmm. coin a tender and payment of debts. I believe, I can't absolutely prove it, but I believe that's, that certainly means that the governments of the states of the Union can only function in terms of gold and silver coin. Oh, I and agree. even though we haven't had any in circulation now since last time it was in circulation, it was 1968, that any of our paper dollars could be redeemed in silver, even though we don't have gold and silver coin or money backed by gold and silver coin, what passes for state government has continued to function despite Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 of the Constitution. Well, yeah, my, my point was that vacant, you could interchange dormant. You well, know, maybe so. I've There's heard something going vacant. on here. I mean, this is one of those things. This is a mystery, all right? That How many words are in this? 19,000, almost 20,000 words in this, in this particular case. Um, something's going on here. Well, I have never and heard of any dormant. <laughs> I've never heard the Supreme Court or any other court refer to any clause of the Constitution as a dormant clause. Yeah, I know. I understand. So there's something to be learned here. And it'll be, uh, they talk about the first case, Oklahoma Tax Commission versus Jefferson Lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the date is not immediately apparent to me. I'd have to figure that out. But it's relatively modern case which precludes the states from discriminating between a transactions on the basis of some interstate element. Mm-hmm. What do you suppose an interstate element might be? Uh, well, I don't know. Or, the origin of uh, manufacturers? Reserve notes are crossing my mind. Yeah, well, that could be. Because they are not lawful. My reading of Article 10, Section, or Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 of the Constitution says no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debt. So how do they allow Federal Reserve notes? How does the state of Texas allow Federal Reserve notes to be used as a tender in payment of debt? All right? The Constitution says no state shall do it, can't do it. Who can? The feds can. 
But where can they do it? In the territories, in the districts, in Washington, D.C. Federal Reserve notes are completely legal, but it's not clear to me, and I think it's doubtful, that Federal Reserve notes are lawful within the states of the Union. So I'm guessing, I'm just speculating here. I don't know any of that to be true, but I'm speculating that when they say discriminating between transactions on the basis of some interstate element, I suspect that interstate elements might be a Federal Reserve note. And you can't discriminate. I think that if we read this Oklahoma Tax Commission versus Jefferson Lines, if we read it closely and read through all the lines, read the white on the page as well as the black on the page, we might find out. But what they're doing is they're saying you can't discriminate against the currency that's the Federal Reserve notes. I think beyond that, I strongly suspect that if you use Federal Reserve notes, I think you're implicating interstate commerce. I think the use of Federal Reserve notes is one of the hallmarks of voluntarily entering into what I regard as territorial states, administrative districts, Washington, yeah. D.C., you know, theory. I, I, you know, to... I, the only problem I have with that is the voluntary part, because it's not voluntary. It is the coin of the realm. It's the only game in town. You're either going to use it or you're going to starve to death. And, you know, you can't do anything, I mean, because they've made it lawful. It's more like military script in an occupied area. I follow that. And it's probably issued under the pretext of an emergency on top of everything else. It's probably the states of the Union are there in a state of peace. During an emergency, you're off in some sort of a territorial venue. You know, because like when the Nazis came to town in, in France... They were all using Nazi script, but that didn't yeah. mean everybody who was using it agreed that, okay, I'm a Nazi now uh, because I'm using their money. You know, they had no choice. No, but they pretty much agreed to be subject to the Nazi control. That was at least implied. I won't say it was laid out that way, but if it's the only money around and people use it, you know, they got to eat, they're going to use it, and the government draws implications. Yeah, but that that that's a stretch to say that you agreed, you you volunteered or anything like that. You can say I'm forcing you. Uh, okay, maybe you. you I agree that. with what you're saying, but I've heard people talk about this who might know what they're talking about. I'm not saying they do, but they've said that if you're going to use the Federal Reserve notes, you have to use them with an express protest. Mm-hmm. I say I protest that. using the Federal Reserve notes, and I do not consent to be dragged into. Whatever. I don't know. Well, what I think that, you know. I think that's a great idea with everything. I mean, if you're, you know, whatever you're going to do that you feel, hey, I, you know, I feel well, I have to have a driver license. Okay, fine. Well, I object to this, but you know, because I don't want to get pulled over and shot, I'm going to do it. But that hardly means I'm volunteering for it just because I don't want you to shoot me. Well, my point is, if you object, if you expressly object, then the idea that you voluntarily entered into this system is challenged or defeated. Yeah, and I think, but if you don't make they, an express protest, they figure you came in voluntarily. And I think this is why they do not allow you to sign your driver license application under duress, and they do not allow it. Not here. I, I well, know. I would least. agree with that. I think this business about. I'm inclined to agree with it for this reason. I looked into the concept of duress years ago, mm-hmm. and my understanding 
at that time. I don't know what's going on right now, and I haven't looked at it for a while, and I don't know what I'd think about it if I really got into it and thought about it today. But at the time, a decade ago, mm-hmm. maybe more, I realized the definition of duress is you have to be in threat of immediate harm in the sense that somebody's got to have a gun pointed at your head or knife to your throat. It can't merely be a certain amount of inconvenience and maybe it'll cause a problem a week from now or a month from now. You've got to be under immediate threat to be legitimately construed as under threat of duress. All right. And there's nobody pointing a gun at your head down there at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Well, that's a pretty good explanation of that. And that, that, that makes sense, you know. Uh, they also will not allow you to sign uh, all rights reserved. That's another story. You know, it is, it is. And I've seen people do both and have it come back saying, uh, you need to come back down here, you need to redo this, or we're suspending your license. You know, we're just gonna we're just gonna cancel it. Yeah, we we accepted it, but you're gonna have to come back down here and redo this without this, or else, you know, that's not about license. What? Well, that they that it means something. It means that they know you're losing some rights if you take that license. Mm-hmm. And when you say reserving all rights, that means no, you're not giving up your rights. And they don't want that. They want you to give up rights, you know. And I don't know what the rights are necessarily, but they are important to the government. They put you in the position of a subject rather than something like a sovereign. You have agreed to be bound by a system of rules and regulations that probably can't be imposed by law. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, imposed I by your agreement, just like we can contract to do something. I can contract to paint your house or some damn thing. You know, I mean, we can enter into a contract. You've essentially entered into something like a contractual relationship, private law, and if you retain your rights, you have defeated the purpose of the license. And that tells me that the purpose of the license is not about competence. No. Right? It doesn't matter if you can drive. I don't you just care need to take drive. a drive down the road to see that's true. Will you surrender your rights? That's the real question. Well, now, I wonder, and this is just me wondering, uh, and I'm sure people have tried this and they probably have an answer, but I haven't, and I don't know, but if you say, okay, fine, I can't, you know, I can't sign the thing, you just won't accept it, you'll make me come down or cancel it or whatever, if you send a, you know, whatever, certified letter, affidavit, whatever, to the competent, whatever, whoever in the state, the attorney general, secretary of state, whatever, and said, look, uh, I've gotten into either these agreements or pledges, whatever, through necessity, because I have to travel. And if I don't do this, you know, you can explain it as much as you want. You're going to pull me over and kill me or whatever. I'm in fear for my life, my business, my livelihood, whatever, you know. And uh, But it was not my intention to give up or diminish any of my rights. I mean, I don't know what effect that would have. It, it would at least be a notice, you would think. <clears throat> to me, I don't like to give notices. I like to give questions. Yeah, me too. And but the idea behind this is ask the questions before you ever go down to apply for the license and see if you can get them to answer it and form your questions in a way where if they don't answer, you're going to assume certain things. Like, I don't need a license. 
Right. And I don't believe you do need a driver's license within the borders of the state of Texas. I think you need one if you're traveling where there's a zip code, if you're in TX, if you're in state of Texas, if you're in Texas, right? If you're in this, what I think of as a second venue or plane of jurisdiction, if you're in that second alternative fictional plane, you got to have a license. I think, I strongly suspect, can't prove it, could be wrong, but I strongly suspect that you can live as a free man within a state of the union. And if you would like to practice law, you're free to do so. You can practice law in the state of the union. You can practice plumbing in the state of the union. You know something about plumbing? And the neighbor wants to pay you $50 to fix the, who knows, the toilet or whatever? Go ahead. You don't have to worry about being charged with practicing plumbing without a license or practicing law without a license. People are free to hire you. You are free to work for them. You're going to have to be paid probably in gold and silver. You're going to have to establish that you're one of the people of the state of Texas. Yeah. state of Oregon or whatever, I think you're free in that venue. At least the only thing government has is limited powers in that venue. But if you stumble into one of these venues that's based on zip codes, two-letter abbreviations for the state, something other than the proper name for the State of the Union, under those things, Congress can do whatever they want with you. You are absolutely a subject. Well, I think one could make the argument pretty pretty well that, you know, the the phrase, uh, you know, pursuit of happiness is is the right to contract. No, it's not. Well, I, I would say that it is. It, 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 it at least you might be right. That. Here's what I read. It might encompass read, other things. I read this back in 20 years ago at least, and I probably read it. I probably read it in Webster's 1828 Dictionary. But I don't remember where. And it wasn't under pursuit of happiness. It was one of these long, they have the dictionary dictionary definitions, are lengthy, and they try to, be complete, try to get every possible you know explanation or definition in there. I think it was Webster's 1828, but it might have been one of the early Bouvier's. And I didn't really understand it at the time, but it stuck in my mind. I know I read this, and it said the pursuit of happiness means freedom of religion. In the final analysis, what would make you happier? Frank, behind door number one, we have a blonde with a big set of bazooms, a million dollars, and a new Cadillac. And behind door number two, we have eternal salvation. Which would make you happier? Well, eternal salvation. You're darn right. If you're working on your happiness, that's what it was about. The, 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 the pursuit of happiness was about freedom of religion, and I saw it in one of the... And it didn't register in my mind because I didn't understand things then the way they at least think I understand them now, but it stuck with me, and I can't find it. I know I saw it. I know I read it. And, uh, you know, people want to say, no, you're crazy. You're just imagining. No, I didn't, but... You know, well, I, I mean, that certainly could be. I mean, I'm well, not going to say it's crazy or anything. It is. It really makes sense. It does. And, and it you doesn't know, mean we, we all get to go to Disney World. You <laughs> understand? It's a little deeper than that. Well, and the original, from what I've read, is that it was to be life, liberty, and property. But because there were slave states and all that, they chose to say pursuit of happiness rather than property. 
Well, I get that. And I know that there's conflicting opinions, and I can't tell you that mine is God's truth. Well, I'm not saying... When you stop to think about it, it does make some sense. Well, the pursuit of happiness, though, I mean, I mean, it could be the freedom of religion. It could be the freedom to contract. I mean, you're talking about, hey, this is my... Uh, being able to contract with people is people's livelihood. When you go out and say, well, sure, you know, I'll, uh, I'll work here and pump gas for seven bucks an hour... You just made a contract. If you're not free to do that, you're not free to do anything. You know, I mean... Well, I think you could raise the argument, if you are sufficiently adept, you go into court and say they're violating my unalienable right to freedom of happiness. And so what are you talking about? <laughs> and I say, well, look, that contract would make me happy. Well, the ability and they're denying to that I have a contract with these people. They're denying that I could have a contract. They're depriving me of the happiness I would derive from that contract. It would be interesting to see if the government would <laughs> open that can of worms and just say, get out of here. Yeah, get, get, do what you want. Yeah, just go, on, get out of here. go out of here. Yeah, that's usually their way, really. I mean, it's like, you know, just get out, get out do what you want. Just don't cause any trouble. Just, yeah, exactly. And leave quietly. How about uh -huh. that back door? Don't over there? talk to any of these people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, yeah, and and if we ever see your name again on the docket, we'll make sure there are no other people. You know, you'll yeah, be that's... the last one to talk. Uh -huh. Maybe I, we'll I bring have... you on Monday, and you'll have to stay till Friday. I have sat in a courtroom for two and a half hours, uh, a couple of times. Uh, you know, yeah. just waiting for everybody to go, and mm -hmm. they're going alphabetically, right? And it's like, okay. A, a, Hey, wait a minute. You just skipped over my You just skipped over my name. <laughs> Must have been an accident. Yeah, over and over again. And you know, yeah. and it's happened to other people too and they deliberately I, do it. I've seen it and I've experienced it. There are, you know, there's some among us they don't want the public to understand. And this is interesting stuff. Because let's suppose they know that you're coming into court. Oh, my God, it's that crazy guy, Stephens, again. We're going to. Frank, you got another one of these crazy ideas. You got to listen to this guy. It's just, it's just lunacy. The judge should, if he really believes you don't know what you're doing, he should use you as an example. You should be the first one. I want everybody to see how I'm wrong show he is. You people. I'm going to show you how you can really make some big mistakes. Frank, we're going to handle you first. And I'm going to show you people, the rest of you people, you know, that's how you can be a real idiot. Watch this guy. And then they could do it. And they say, look, here's where you're wrong. Here's where you're wrong. Here's where... But they don't do that. They don't point out where you're wrong. What they do is they say, I don't want any of you people listening to this guy. Yeah. And it can't be because they think you're wrong. No, because it, if I was wrong, they'd want them to hear it, wouldn't they? If you were wrong, they'd want to use it as an example. Just so look, don't you know? Just ladies and gentlemen, I know these traffic ticket things are are a problem, but don't don't get carried away and do something like this guy Frank. They don't yeah. do that. They keep you silent until the public, the great unwashed, is gone, so they don't get any ideas. They don't want the problem, your knowledge, to propagate. Well, and I think one of the things is when you actually have it happen a couple of times and end up standing up and saying, excuse me, I think you skipped over my name in front of everybody. And they go, oh, no, 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 no we can't find it. Hey, you just sit down. After that, then it's like you walk in there, the place is packed, and somebody calls your name, and they say, well, your case has been dismissed in the interest of justice. Mm -hmm. You know, and you don't even get to go last. You don't get to go at all. 
<laughs> you just show, you showed up and you what get are you to go. Complaining about Frank. Some people are never satisfied. <laughs> yeah. You don't get to go on time. Then you know they're complaining. You're not going last. I didn't get what my is, turn at all. You know. <laughs> well, you know what can I tell you? You know. So, but they got they, they do all this stuff, and this is not imaginary, and it's not just me. I've seen it happen over and over and over, and I'm, I'm sure you have too. Yep. This isn't, you know, the average person hearing this would sit back and say, well, that's crazy. That just can't be. But it is. Yeah, and and if I saw (laughs) once or twice, I might say, yeah, maybe it is crazy. But, no, I'm sorry, you know, 20, 30 times. No, that can't be just crazy. No, I understand. And some people, it doesn't matter if they hear you or if they see you. They still just want to pay their ticket and go anyway, so. I understand. They just want to get, you know, get get out with as as much of their sheepskin as they possibly can. It's embarrassing to walk around naked. You're used to having all that big coat of fur on there. (laughs) And they shear you, and, oh, my gosh, it's embarrassing. And it's cold in the wintertime and rest, that sort of thing. All right, we've been talking about this case. It's just now been decided by the Supreme Court. Um, May 18th wow. of this month. And it's week old, it's been decided. Now go on back up to the top of this, to the top of the opinion. And you'll see where it says, the the uh, the URL where you can find the case it says http colon slash slash laws dot findlaw dot com slash us slash zero 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 slash thirteen hyphen four eight five dot html. Now I know that's too fast for anybody to write down, but here's my question to you, Frank. Do you see the zero 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 on that? I do. You have it highlighted in green. Uh huh. What do you think that means? Uh, I don't know. Unpublished? No, it means the volume of laws that are including this case. None? Uh, No. It's worse than that. It's stranger than that. This is something I've been aware of since I first spotted this probably about 1997, 98, when it first began. There is a single volume of law of Supreme Court decisions that's volume zero 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 that has been in effect since about ninety seven ninety eight I don't recall clearly but the late nineties and what they've done is most of the Supreme Court decisions go into the standard they go into a standard volume of the you might read volume five four one US um, six seven five. The six seven five would be the page number, and five four one is the volume number. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I don't know what the most recent volume is. All right, but it'll be well in the high numbers. It'll be higher than zero zero zero. Absolutely, everything's from <laughs> zero zero zero. But what's been going on <clears throat> is they're keeping two sets of books. This law from the Comptroller of the Treasury of Maryland versus Wynn, what I've seen in the past, and I've, I I mean, this is not, this is absolutely true. I've seen this repeatedly. I haven't seen it in every case, but they have a case like Comptroller of the Treasury of Maryland versus Wynn at Ux, uh, which we have in this case that we're looking at. 
Okay? Mm-hmm. There will also be a comptroller of the Treasury of Maryland versus Wynn at Ux that will be at 541 U.S. Uh, 675. Two volumes. Not for every case, only for some cases. All right? Zero, zero, zero appears to me to be cases that are coming out of the Supreme Court of the United States, the actual Article Three Court. 541 U.S. 675, same case, is coming out of the territorial courts. And what they're trying to do is keep everybody in the territorial section. I have a very strong suspicion that if you can get to where you can find the zero 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 volume and pull your case sites from the Supreme Court out of that volume, if your arguments, and you could find them, 541, U.S. 675, you can find it. If you use that one, you're in the territory, in my opinion. If you find the zero zero zero, which has been a single volume since now, it's probably 17 years or so. I don't absolutely know what's going on, but I do know because I do searches once in a while where I'm looking for a particular word or phrase in the Supreme Court decisions. And you look for that phrase, and they will send back and find law, will do the search in the Supreme Court, and sometimes they'll come back with hundreds of cases, and it's too many for me to go through. But if you do it right, you can get back, and they might have 20 or 30 or 50, and that's not too many for me to deal with. 50 is a lot for me. I don't read them all, but you can read the excerpt for the phrase you're looking for, all right? And you can skim through the phrase, and they'll bring up, say, 30 cases. Well, when I go through there looking for this particular phrase, I will find out of 30 cases, Ballpark figure. I'm going to find a half a dozen instances where I will see, find law will identify one set of cases with a zero, zero, zero volume number. And they'll have the very same case, at least in terms of the words. The very same case will come in and something like fire, 540, volume 541, U.S., page 675. They will return. They're keeping two sets of books up there, Frank. And this has been going on since the late 1990s. I've been meaning to do an article on it. I haven't gotten around to it. But you see it. I mean, you're looking at this right now. Mm -hmm. You can see where it says 13-485. What does that mean? Well, that's, uh, what, the year in the case? Yeah, I think it's the year the case reached the court. Right. The case number. But it's the year and number that the case reached the court. And I think we're talking about the the Supreme Court of the United States as compared to the United States Supreme Court, in my opinion, two different entities, two different venues. Now, I just put this in, and I I did the whole – and I did it with the whole address, you know, the case number, and it comes up just fine. There it is. Yeah. Then I took the case number, just the, the last .html off, and I yep. stopped at 000 slash. And what came up was U.S. Supreme Court opinions, cases in volume 000. There you go. Sorry, there are no cases in this volume index file not found. 
yet obviously there is because if you put the direct you know case number, it comes up. I understand. I found out how to get to the zero 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 volume back several years ago, and I can't remember what I used to do it. Right? <laughs> it's one of those things I looked at, and you think you're going to remember. You should have wrote that one down. Well, I agree with you. <laughs> but I've probably got some stuff tucked away in the computer someplace, and all I have to do is go through, I don't know, a terabyte or two of information, and I might be able to find it. Is that all? Yeah, maybe. Hard to say. Um, but this is a real deal. And... They're telling you they want this hidden. And one of the things that Find Law used to do, I think I know, Find Law used to be able to do a search for words or phrases within Supreme Court cases, and they do it in other jurisdictions as well. And when they produced the report, they listed the cases from the most recent to the oldest. And they were in chronological order. And they stopped doing that a few years ago. They may have stopped doing it 10 years ago. I don't know. Uh, It's been a while. And you no longer get them in chronological order. Now they're all shuffled around, and you might get a case at the top of the list from 1828. You might get another case right after from 1956. And the case after that could be, you know, uh, 1893. And... The, the, they're, they're shuffled chronologically. Well, what are they using as a way? I mean, they are they doing them by the subject or? No, by whatever I search for. I put in the search term. Oh, okay. I'm looking for a particular set of words, a particular word or set of words, and they bring these back. They bring this. Uh, they bring me that list. It's just not in but any they order. Shuffled them chronologically. It used to be that they delivered them chronologically. And I was, it was a great, it's, it's always been a, a great service. It's free, and for me, it's been, you know, a great blessing. But they stopped doing it chronologically, and I think I know why. Because if they do, every time they produce one of these zero, zero, zero volumes, it's going to show up right next to the one that says 541 <laughs> plus 675. Yeah, because they both decided on the same day. Right? And people would see this in the chronological list and say, what the heck is this? But if they shuffle them around where the 000 case is number three on the list and the 541-675 is number 27 on the list, most people aren't going to pick up on it. They're not going to see this. It's not going to be obvious. Now, I don't know why. I don't know for an absolute fact that that's why they stopped delivering chronological order in the find law cases, but... For some reason, they have. Well, I find that zero, 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 just uh, that's fascinating. And oh yeah, who knows what the reason really is? But there's a reason. They wouldn't be doing it if there wasn't. Absolutely. And zero, I zero, zero. Fact like, that if you can find your argument, and I mean, you can do this. You can go up and uh, do a search on virtually any popular concept. All right. On find law. And you can search in there and come up with, I don't care, habeas corpus. Right? You have to enter it in between quotes. If it's more than one word, you have to put it into the text. You enter, have to enter it in quotes in the text search engine. Do that. And you're going to get a maximum of 250 cases. And, in fact, it goes. there's more than that. 
for habeas corpus. Some words you'll only find in a dozen cases, some words in hundreds of cases. They'll give you a maximum of 250 cases. That's a maximum they will return on a search. But you start scrolling down that search, and you're going to find zero, zero, zero volumes. You're going to find them. And my guess is you'll find, out of 250 cases, I'll bet you find, I don't know, one in six, maybe, one in ten. And, and again, what, what is five instances. You're going to find 25 instances of zero, zero, zero. And when you look, out of 25 instances of zero, zero volume, you will probably find at least 15 other cases that are exactly the very same case, but they are in the format 541 U.S. 675. Now, You'll at least 15 duplicate cases out of 2500 volumes. That'll be a guess. Now, when you when you've looked through these, what what has been the uh, what's been the the similarities? Are there or are there any similarities? I, so far as I've been able to tell, they are word-for-word word identical, and the only difference is the authority of the court that passed well, the Well, that's decision. what I meant. Like, the zero, only the zero, zero, zero cases. Are there any yep. similarities running through all yeah, the zero, zero cases? Well, they're going to use that volume, and they're going to have something like 13-485 for the number, and it will be a Supreme Court, associated by the Supreme Court of the United States. Not United States Supreme Court, in my opinion. That appears to be the only difference between these, and it's the difference between, I can make an argument, and they say, well, what do you use for your authority on that argument? And I say, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm using volume, you know, 541 U.S. page 675. And they say, nice try, dummy, you're out of here. But if I come back and I say volume 0013-485, I think now we're I think we're now in an article 3 court. Well, what I was asking is because, you know, this one case here and I I'm I have this is the first I've actually heard of the 000 thing, but I mean this case has something in there a little different than what you normally see in cases when it talks about dormant you know, constitutional clauses, yep. uh, that's not something that you see in a lot of cases. So that was what I was wondering. Is there any, uh, do all these zero zero cases? A hot potato, and it's not necessarily clear why. Mm-hmm. All right, I can't tell you that I get it, but I think these zero 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 cases, someone did something. They brought up an issue that the courts had to hear in an Article Three court, or they they may it may be that they have by means of intelligence or perhaps just dumb luck or the grace of god they filled out their original paperwork down at the trial court level in a way that forced the courts to hear this in an article 3 basis or maybe they just did it on the appeal to the supreme court i don't know it's one of those things where I need to talk to someone who's got access to something like oh what are the other what are the other programs you can pay for um oh jeez uh, I can't I think of know names. a couple of them but yeah, yeah, I never did pay oh, for them so. Westlaw is one yeah, Westlaw there you one. Go. there's another one besides that where you can pay and you can get I mean you can get more information than you can ever you can ever 
consume. I mean, you can get more information you consume on fine law too, but with Westlaw and those sorts of, you can get access to the actual pleadings. All right? It's interesting to read the cases, and it's instructive. It is. But if you can read the pleadings in a case, you can see that somebody came up with a case and it generated a result, and you say, that's important. Okay, that's an important case. I want to see the pleadings. I want to see what someone put on paper when they submitted it to the court, and I want to see their final pleadings, because one way or another, those pleadings, the original pleadings, they worked in a way that is surprising to me, and there's something to be learned in those pleadings. And the court's not going to write it out. They're not going to spell it out in the court case. This, this case, we're talking about 20,000 words, very nearly, 19,487 words or thereabouts. All right. Why do the court, how much language does it take to explain something? I mean, this is like a, this is a novelette. You understand? It should be, okay, <laughs> so-and-so's a moron, you lose. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and the rest of them, and five of them say, I concur, and the other four say, no, he's not that dumb. You know. Yeah, 20,000 words is a bit much. It's, it's. You wonder if the lady does protest too much. You well, know? you know, I think it's just all amount of... Because over the years, all these cases and all these laws and everything has gotten more and more and more and more and more. And there, I, as, far, as far as I'm concerned, the old laws from, you know, 200 years ago were clear. They were concise. They you can understand to... them, and you can... Okay, I get it. This... Not just even 200 years ago, prior to 1933, my experience. Okay, and this but, this is like, okay, all right, well, you know, forget the, the novel I was going to read. I'll read this now for the next week, because mm-hmm. it's going to take that long to comprehend what they're talking about, and there can only be one reason to do that, and that's to try to hide something. That's exactly right. I've told this on this. I, I think you've probably heard me say this before. I read the law for 17 years before I began to actually understand it. And the great, the moment of sudden insight, after trying to chew through the law for 17 years and try to understand what it meant, that's when I realized, my God, they're not trying to write to explain, to clarify, to illuminate they are writing to conceal the laws since 1933 by the Supreme Court. If they deal with critical issues, they're not going to tell you what's really going on. And it's the law. It's brilliant the way they write. They have learned to write two different messages at the same time. It's as if they are writing in Greek and also French at the same time. And if you're Frenchman, you read it. So, oh, yeah, it makes perfect sense in the French. If you're Greek, you read it. So, oh, yeah, it makes perfect sense to the Greeks. Yeah, but it's a totally different thing. Totally for different. Both of them. And, and, different thing. Well, they've created another language. And, you know, people have heard the term legalese. It's, it's not just a, it's not, it's gotten to be more than just slang or, or, or uh, you know. defined in Black's Law Dictionary. Hmm, when did they do that? The eighth, maybe the ninth. Okay, that figures. Okay. One or both of the last two editions includes the term legalese. They define it, not just, you know... Well, it is a different language. It is. And if you don't speak that language, you are going to be a gardener. You are like 
an illegal alien comes into this country and never learns to speak English. And you get a job being a gardener, mowing the lawns, rest, that sort of thing. And maybe that's all you want, but that's all you're going to get. If you want to make any money, you have got to speak this language. Well, and the thing is, too, that uh, you can't. Uh, okay, maybe somebody can, but I can't, and I don't know anybody that can just uh, go into court or go talk to somebody and learn it. You've got to get dictionaries. You've got to really look at these definitions, because here's the trick about legalese. From yep. one document to another, the same words can mean different things. Exactly right. Because you can go to the United States Code, for example, and they will define the term United States... <laughs> I have no idea how many instances. I think there's 50 volumes in the United States Code, or 50 titles in the United States Code. There might be 52 or 53, but 50 ballpark figure. Every one of them probably has multiple sections of the code that every title, multiple definitions of the term United States. I have no idea. You know, I would be surprised. I would be pretty much amazed if they had more than, collectively, they had more than 10 definitions of the term United States. But they might, right? More than likely. Yeah, and then you've got to figure out under not, what, but even so, under what circumstances do the particular, you know, uh, apply? Well, they apply to bamboozle the great unwashed. Well, I know, but I'm, what I'm saying is you might, you might look through one and so, go, okay, here's 10 definitions of the United States. I know them all. I've memorized them. Yeah, and but so which you, applies yeah, to which, exactly. Now you go read the law and you go, oh, oh, well, but wait a minute. Which one of them applies to yeah. this? It's like, okay, it really and is you, like a puzzle. Uh, you know, it's like playing Mother May I or Simon Says. You've got to do exactly the right language. And if you can do that, then you've got a shot. Nobody can do it exactly. Well, at least I can. I don't think many, many there are probably some people who can do it. I can't do it exactly, but I can do it reasonably well and the one thing i can do if you want to sue me send me the paperwork and i'm going to give you a response you have not seen before because i'm halfway adept with the language and you're going to have a problem it's going to cost you some money to get a lawyer to go through my questions and my responses and you know i want to know what the meanings of the words are that you're using and here's the meanings i'm using yeah, and all that's reasonable, because how can you uh, communicate with anybody if you don't know what they're saying? You've got to define these things for me. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you know it, people, and I say that because people have, you know, they've, I don't know, criticized, but they've mentioned to me, it's like, God, jeez, you know, but, you know, going through all these questions and stuff just annoys people, and, you know, you, you know just what do you think you're going to do? Well, I, I'm trying to understand what you're saying. Ah, you're just causing trouble. Well, maybe so, but... I still need to know what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm entitled to know. Right. And it's not unreasonable. We've been through this on the program in the past where virtually every word you use has multiple definitions. And if you're going to use the term United States, which United States are you talking about? I can't respond to you until, me, until you tell me, are you talking about the geographical, the territorial? Are you talking about a district? You're talking about a international sovereign? What, what definition? Yeah. Right. Are you, you know, and I'm entitled to know. Yeah, and almost I, every word they, they write. Know your meaning. And almost every word they write, you know, and you go, well, you know, hey, oh, I don't want to bother asking them this. But, hey, you know what? 
Bill Clinton bothered? That's exactly right. It all depends on what the meaning of is is. He Remember? stuck on the word is. Uh huh. Is. Yeah. And it's like it worked for him. Yeah, I know. Uh, it, it was perhaps we don't know that that's the reason, but it was perhaps part of the reason that he avoid being, avoided being impeached. Well, he was impeached. Can, but he wasn't what do you mean? He, he, and the rest of the idiots in the Congress and Senate, what's he talking about? What the meaning of his is? They're a bunch of dummies who basically don't understand anything more how, than how to BS and con the great unwashed into electing them to hold public office. Monty Hall. Put them up there and try to make them read the law or understand the law. They're the laws. Clinton got it. He understands. He understands the significance of words, and therefore he was able to get away well, with it. basically what he did was question them. Well, depends what is is. Yeah. You know, like, I can't respond to that. Until you explain what is is, and they're That's like, blah, 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 blah. you know, we yeah. can't, we don't even know how to respond to that, you know. And the other thing about it is, when you start asking questions, if I were to, you send me a lawsuit, and I say, well, what does the meaning of United States mean? And you might respond, well, in this case, we're using it in the geographical sense. Right. Okay. All right. What do you mean by geographical? What's your definition of geographic? Mm-hmm. And when you define that, I can ask. I guarantee it's going to include some other words that I'll need to know the meaning of. Absolutely. Got to know these things. I mean, this Absolutely. is the law after all. Why are clients want to know, Bubba? You know, I, but the Clintons, very slick couple. I mean, you've got Bill getting out of a jam with what it depends what is is. Then you got Hillary 80 times. 80 times. Now, most people would be ashamed and, and embarrassed and they couldn't they couldn't manage to get through eighty times of telling the United States Congress, you know, I, I don't recall. Mm-hmm. But, but that's the way you gotta to do it. She stuck to it until they let yep. her go. Yep, they have to. Get out. <laughs> you know <laughs> how can you claim how can you prove someone is guilty of perjury if they tell you they don't remember something? Yeah. It is absolutely, it's not just an accident. It is a sophisticated defense of, gee, I don't recall. Who can prove you're lying? Nobody. Who can prove what you remember? No, huh? 80 Once times. I don't recall, that's it, they're done. I don't know. 80 times she did that. Yep. And, I, you know, I don't like her, but I've got to hand it to her because I know how tough it is to come up with something you know works and stick with it even though they're going to sit you under the hot lights and they're going to you know they're going to you just keep doing it you know you're going to get out of there sooner or later yeah, yeah. i can say i don't recall <laughs> a lot more times than you can pose questions <laughs> exactly yeah you know, i've got a 50 word question i don't recall i don't remember gosh you know you know can you rephrase that she said that about 20 times too can you rephrase the question mhm just to mix it up you know yeah, but it's also now that you rephrased it. I really, I know I do don't remember. Understand the meanings of the words you're using. You're trying to catch me with. Please rephrase. It means you have to know some synonyms. Right. And if you don't understand, if you don't understand the meaning of the first word, you won't have any synonyms. You can't rephrase. So basically, she was telling them, "I don't understand the question, and I don't remember." And I don't think you understand the words you're using. Yeah. Well, there's that. I'm smarter than you are. <laughs> Just like this Bill was. Word battle, and if you are adept at the language, you can hold these people off. I don't mean you get out of jail free and the rest of that sort of thing. I'm not saying that, but I'm telling you, if you don't understand the language, you are vulnerable. If you do understand the language, you have an opportunity mm-hmm. to perhaps skate. 
Well, you got a better chance, that's for sure. I think we're out of time. We are. Frank. We are. Yep. So I want to thank all of you folks for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday. Hope you'll tune in at that time to the American Independence Hour. I'm Alfred Addis here with Frank Stefan, and look forward to talking to you folks again. Good night. From heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. have denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? 
Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is May 26, 2015. It's Tuesday evening. It's about nine minutes, almost ten minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. Anyway, if all that's true, we are, in fact, live, which means you can call in 800-932-1980, 800-932-1980, or you can... Uh, Go to the chat room, go to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com, look for the chat link. It'll be the one that spells out chat, and you click on that, follow the easy instructions, and you're in there. You can make comments, ask questions, or uh, you can also just, you know, chat with the other people in there. You don't have to... uh, participate in the show you can if you'd like you don't have to there's no rule anyway oh yes and another way if you have yahoo instant messenger the screen name is avrn talk avrn talk and that'll get straight to me all right let's see here Oh, a lot of stuff, a lot of things, a lot of stuff going on. And we'll get to it right now. Here's uh, something that I just came across right before the show. Marine court-martialed for refusing to remove Bible verse. That's right. A United States Marine was convicted at a court-martial for refusing to remove a Bible verse on her computer. A verse of scripture the military determined, quote, could easily be seen as contrary to good order and discipline, unquote. This is a Bible verse. Contrary to good order and discipline, easily seen. Really? The plight of Lance Corporal Mofia uh, Monifa Sterling, 
I'm not, you know, it's M-O-N-I-F-A. I don't know how you monifa. Sterling seems unbelievable. A, mem- a member of the armed forces criminally prosecuted for displaying a slightly altered message of scripture from the Old Testament. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Gee, doesn't that sound like a good verse for a soldier? I mean, if you were a military commander, wouldn't you want your soldiers to be having this kind of attitude, this kind of foundation? No weapon formed against me shall prosper? (laughs) Sterling, who represented herself at trial, was convicted February 1st, 2014, in a court-martial at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, after she refused to obey orders from a staff sergeant to remove the Bible verses from her desk. Now, one could argue that that's an unlawful order. Because, you know, while you may give up your rights when you become a felon, You know, this whole idea that because you join up in the military, you've given up all your rights is BS. Because why why would anybody in their right mind go and fight and maybe die and kill other people for this government if you had to give up all your rights for the thrill of doing so? I don't think many people would. Okay? Because I don't think they let you know that right when you get in there. Oh, by the way, before you sign up, before you agree, before we go too much further with this, uh, understand that you agree to give up all your rights. And that includes, that includes your religious freedom. That's right. You are not allowed to profess Christ any longer in the United States military. How many good Christian boys and girls would sign up for that. Uh, Probably more than would make most of you comfortable. Well, I need the job. I got to do it for my family. I'm just, uh, I got to do what's necessary. I got to do this. I got to do that. Well, this isn't, you know, this this isn't a game. This isn't, uh, (laughs) you know, I, I mean, I've had, Honestly, I've had somebody tell me, and, you know, this is uh, somebody who thinks, and and I'm not saying she's not, I'm just saying, thinks of herself as a good mother by saying, uh, if my kids are hungry, I'll take the mark of the beast. Well, that may seem, from a worldly perspective, as a good thing to do for your children, but uh, it's very bad. Okay. You know, I mean, the sad thing is Christianity in the United States uh, ain't what it used to be. But anyhow, so we'll go on with this. She was found guilty of failing to go to her appointed place of duty, disrespect towards a superior commissioned officer, and four specifications of disobeying the lawful order of a non-commissioned officer. Now, you see, I disagree. I don't think that's a lawful order. 
remove that Bible verse from your computer. I wonder how many Muslims they're going around saying, listen, get that Koran crap off your computer there. The Christian Marine was given a bad conduct discharge and a reduction in rank from Lance Corporal to private. Both lower court and the appellate court ruled that Religious Freedom Restoration Act did not apply to her case because displaying a Bible verse does not constitute religious exercise. Really? What does then? However, a religious liberty law firm and high-powered former U.S. Solicitor General have taken up her case and have filed an appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces. You know, I mean, that's great, and they may win, but the bad thing is military justice is an oxymoron. It's like military intelligence. It's like political honesty. Okay, these, just, these are just words that should never go together, all right? It's a joke. Military justice is a joke. Yeah, they've created a whole little system for themselves. But you know what? When you write up a whole pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of article this and article that, and if you do this and if you do that, and that's all well and fine until you get to the last one that says, oh, yeah, and if uh, we left something out and there's something your commanding officer wants to charge you with, this article covers it. Oh, well, why didn't you just skip the facade, huh? Why didn't you just go to, we have Article 1, and that means anything a commanding officer says goes. That's our justice here in the military. I'm not a fan. If the government can order a Marine not to display a Bible verse, they could try and order her not to get a religious tattoo or go, <clears throat> wait a minute, who is this? Liberty Institute attorney Michael Berry. Uh, pardon me, religious tattoo? Uh, I don't think if you're a Christian, tattoos are something that, uh, you know, are condoned in the Bible. Oh, I know, there's tons of people out there going to, you know, get all mad about that. And, you know, I'm not saying if you got a tattoo, you're going to hell. I'm just saying, you know, don't try to push it off as some sort of, oh, no, God loves tattoos. No, he doesn't. And the Bible says as much. Now, God doesn't like a lot of things that all of us do from time to time. But the whole point of that is not to sit there and try to say it's okay, because it's not okay. I recognize we all sin, and you got to say, well, hey, I'm a sinner, and, uh, you know, I repent. And I'll probably sin again tomorrow, and, you know, I'm just a filthy rag. You know, that's it. And no, that's not a depression, downer sort of thing. Not to me, it isn't. But a Christian tattoo? Really? Or go to church on Sunday? said Liberty Institute attorney Michael Berry. Restricting a Marine's free exercise of religion is blatantly unconstitutional. I believe it is, and, and you know, they, uh, they are just demonstrating that the United States military and the United States government as a whole has become uh, hostile towards Christianity. And they have become host more hostile under Barack Hussein Obama. And it's really no 
surprise, is it? He is a Muslim, after all. He can say he's not, but he's a liar, and we all know that, and the paperwork says he is. And oh, guess what? In the Muslim, in Islam, you don't get to just quit. It's like the mob. Nobody quits. You want to quit? You want to become a Christian? They kill you. That's what happens to you, unless, of course, you're following the Koran and lying to people about it to further Islam. And that's when you're allowed to lie to everybody else. To further Islam, you're allowed to lie to everybody. All right, let's see here. Sterling wised up and finally got legal counsel. Now representing her, the Liberty Institute, along with former U.S. Solicitor General Paul Clement, also a law professor at Georgetown University. Well, you know, wised up and finally got legal counsel. Well, obviously she wasn't very well suited to defend herself. Clement most recently won a Supreme Court victory on behalf of Hobby Lobby against the Affordable Care Act. Liberty Institute and Clement plan to argue that the appellate court should have applied the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Sterling's case, protecting a right to post Bible verses as a form of religious exercise. According to her appellate court's decision, they were not convinced that displaying religious text at a shared government workstation should be protected even in a civilian federal workplace. They also considered the fact that Sterling's desk was shared by other Marines. The implication is clear. The junior Marines sharing the desk and the other Marines coming to the desk for assistance. Get this. This is her desk. But other Marines are going to come to her desk for assistance and would be exposed to biblical quotations in the military workplace. <gasps> oh no, exposed to... Wait a minute. This is the same military that says it's okay for homos, open homos, to serve in the military. It's okay to be exposed to homosexuality in the military, but not a Bible verse on a computer screen? Really? It's hard not to imagine the divisive impact to good order and discipline that may result when a service member is compelled to work at a government desk festooned with religious quotations. Attorney Barry points out that other Marines were allowed to decorate their desks. However, the lower courts refused to allow that evidence to be admitted. And, at the time of the incident, Sterling was not sharing her desk. This was a conflict between her and her supervisor. Her supervisor clearly said she did not like the tone of the Bible verses. Barry said the supervisor cursed at Sterling and ordered her to immediately remove the verses. She refused the order. The following day, she discovered the verses had been removed and thrown in the trash. Adding insult to injury, the government charged her with the crime of failing to obey a direct order because she did not remove the Bible verses. According to court documents, the military maintains the verbiage. No weapon formed against me shall prosper could easily been seen as contrary to good order and discipline. 
Maintaining discipline and morale in the military work center could very well require that the work center remain relatively free of divisive or contentious issues such as personal beliefs, religion, politics, etc. Liberty Institute attorney Hiram Sasser told me it was an outrage that such a small strip of paper could so frighten a drill sergeant. Yeah. This is a very scary time when you're not allowed to have a very small printed Bible verse in your own personal workspace. Well, folks, you know, it goes on and on, and it flows from the top, from the usurper in the White House, okay? Because you know what? If he was a Christian, he'd say, you know what, I'm pardoning her, I'm reinstating her, and uh, don't ever do anything like this again. And he would be fully within his authority. He is the commander-in-chief. And he has the power to pardon anybody, not just the military, anybody he wants. But he's not going to do it, and you can bet he would do it if it was a Muslim. I bet he would if it was a Muslim. Anyway, just, you know, makes, makes you want to puke, huh? Speaking of making you want to puke, the Supreme Court is heading into the final month of its annual term. You know, it's too bad it wasn't the final month of all of their lives, but, oh, uh, well, what are you going to do? At least maybe they'll die on their term, you know. Actually, uh, you know, I feel torn because, gosh, I do not want Barack Obama getting another whatever on the on the court. Look what he's done so far. I mean, really. Anyway, in a potentially historic ruling, the court will decide whether same-sex couples have a right to marry nationwide. Well, you know, I don't think they have any I don't think they have any authority to depend hey, nationwide, sure. In federal buildings and in military installations and uh any kind of legitimately federally ceded property, the territories, districts and so forth, but not within the states. The states decide that, not them. Accumulating in a two decade legal and political fight for marriage equality. Oh yeah, sure, okay, I'm waiting. You know, and look, I don't want this to happen, but on one side, I do want this to happen. I want people to start going into the into courthouses around America, marrying their dog, marrying their sister, marrying their mother, their father, their brother, their sister, their family relations, their animals. I want to see them doing that. I want to see everybody saying, well, you know what, if it's okay for the homos, then it's okay for me. Because otherwise it would be discrimination. Now, wouldn't it? You didn't say homos in the law. You said sexual orientation. Do you realize what sort of Pandora's box this is? Now, why would I want people to do that? Because I'll tell you why, folks. Because once this happens, things are going to just steadily go downhill. And I say, let's get it down there fast. Let's go. Let's move along. Come on. We got no time to waste. Let's get this on. Honestly, folks, I mean, do you see it turning around? I mean, okay, if the Supreme Court says, no, it's up to the states to decide. Because that's as that's as good as it's going to get, all right? Because there's no way you're going to say no. Uh, it's unconstitutional for homos to marry anywhere in the United States. That's not going to happen. They're either going to say it is, 
or it's up to the states. And sure, that'd be nice if they said it's up to the states, you know, and, you know, you've got a chance to turn things around. A very little chance, but nevertheless, it'd be better than the alternative. But if they rule this way, then, you know, and what do you think they're going to rule when they've got, what, three lesbians on the court? Anyway, another much-anticipated decision whether will be whether the Obama administration may continue to subsidize health insurance for low- and middle-income people who buy coverage in the 36 states that failed to establish an official insurance exchange of their own and instead use federally-run version. If the courts rule against the Obama administration, and I might add, it's not just against the Obama administration, it is for clear law and intent. Congress intended to do what it did. It backfired. Hey, I understand it backfired. But when we first practiced to deceive, you know, huh? and they did. They tried to strong arm the states into creating these exchanges because they figured the backlash from the people in the states would be so bad on the local politicians that they would have to do their own exchanges. Well, it didn't work, and they didn't do their own exchanges, and now the law is what the law is. And that says that you only get these subsidies if you buy from a state-run exchange. It was the carrot and the stick, and it backfired. But they don't get a free pass on that. No, you gambled and you lost. Man, I am sick of these big shots gambling all day long and when they lose oh no do over pay me oh no 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 and then when they win oh it's all their win no no they should lose at this and yeah 8.6 million people could lose their subsidies under the affordable care act and they're going to find out real quick it's not affordable it never was affordable and their subsidies are coming out of somebody else's pocket Anyway, between now and late June, the court will hand down more than two dozen decisions on matters such as politics, civil rights, free speech, and air pollution. Several of these cases have been pending for months, suggesting the justices have been sharply split. Well, when we come back from the break, we'll get to uh, some of the... uh, Oh, some of the... Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, well... Uh, We're going to have to wait a minute for the break here because, uh, let's see, the music that I had is uh, now gone because I had closed it before I was actually ready to close it. Okay, so, oh, I'm actually in the wrong, man, this, this, okay, we'll start over here. Isn't this fun? Anyhow, so they have, uh... Some of the major cases we'll get to, I don't know, they got like 10 of them here that uh, we can go through and, you know, see what they're about. We'll be back in a bit. Happy as 
a man could be Till Eve started messing with that apple tree Ain't that just like a woman? Ain't that just like a woman? Ain't that just like a woman? They'll do it every time Lot took his wife to the corner store to get her malted She couldn't mind her business, boy, did she get salted Ain't that just like a woman? Ain't that just like a woman? Ain't that just like a woman? They'll do it every time. This your will. Samson thought Delilah was on the square, till one night she clipped him for all his hair. Ain't that just like a woman? Ain't that just like a woman? Ain't that just like a woman? They'll do it every time. have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. 
protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is May 26, 2015. It's Tuesday. 
Uh, about 8.40 out here on the Pacific Time Coast, if that's all true where you're at. We are, in fact, live. 800-932-1980. You can call in, get on the show. You can also go to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. Got a chat room there. You'll see the link, chat, click it. You'll be in there, and you can uh, participate by asking questions, making comments, or just ignoring the whole thing and talking to the other folks in the uh, chat room. If you want to direct instant message to me and you have Yahoo Instant Messenger, the screen name is AVRN Talk. That's it. All right, let's see. The uh, songs... The Room Failed, and uh, on both. Yeah, these are old songs, but these are the foundations of rock and roll here. And uh, the first one was Louis Jordan, Ain't That Just Like a Woman. And the second one there is Wyoni Harris, All She Wants to Do is Rock. Anyway, so there you go. There it is. There they are. Burn them in your minds, and that way you'll remember them if you ever hear them again. All right, let's uh, get to the Supreme Court here and see what they're going to be doing. Now, of course, marriage and gay rights is what they call it here. The court has said the right to marry is a basic liberty protected by the Constitution. Same-sex couples, some of whom are raising children, say that as a matter of equal rights, states cannot deny them a marriage license in their defense of laws banning gay marriage. The states of Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, and Tennessee said the decision should be left to them and their voters. Well, like I said, the court has said the right to marry is a basic liberty protected by the Constitution. Okay. Well, then people need to, you know, if they're allowed these sodomites to go and marry, then, hey, Get your cat, get your dog, get your horse, get your uh, donkey, get your sister, get your brother, get, you know, get all married. Go ahead. They can't deny you because, hey, if it's good for the sodomites, it's good for everybody. And you can bet that's exactly what's going to happen. Health insurance, the Affordable Care Act said Americans must have health insurance and the law promised to help pay part of the cost for low- and middle-income people. One clause said these subsidies go for insurance bought through an exchange established by the state, but only 14 states established an exchange of their own, and the rest rely on the exchanges set up by the federal authorities. A small conservative group sued, alleging that the subsidies in the 36 states are illegal. Supporters say the law Congress clearly envisioned the subsidies would be offered in all states. No. Supporters of the law are wrong because Congress clearly envisioned that every state would create their own exchange and therefore be entitled to the subsidies, or they would be run out of office for not doing so. That was Congress's intent. These people that say, oh, no, uh, Congress clearly envisions subsidies would be for everybody. Oh, well, then they don't understand how to write English? Oh, and they were lying when they said, oh, yeah, this is you know only for the state ones because we want to encourage the states to do this? Look, you know what? This sort of thing is encouraged by U.S. versus New York. 
where the Supreme Court basically said, hey, federal government can't come into any state and start demanding the states do anything, but they can bribe them. And that's what Congress has become almost expert at. Now, another one here is passports and foreign policy, a seemingly minor case involving the passport of a 12-year-old American boy born in Jerusalem raises a major question. Does Congress or the President have the final word on foreign policy? Congress in 2002 passed a law giving U.S. parents a right to have Israel listed as the birthplace for a child born in Jerusalem. But Presidents George Bush and Obama refused to abide by it, noting that both Israelis and Palestinians claim the city as their capital. They say the law interferes with President's exclusive authority to recognize foreign states and handle a sensitive matter of foreign policy. Well, it's crap, and you know what? Uh, an American boy born in Jerusalem? That's not an American boy. I'm sorry. You know, all this crap about, well, you know, American parents can have their kids anywhere in the world they want and they're still American citizens is crap. And they're certainly not natural-born citizens. This whole argument about natural-born has gone round and round since John McCain and Obama came around. And the bottom line is this. Congress has the right and duty to regulate naturalization. So... Theoretically, Congress can say, all right, fine, if two people, uh, American citizens, have a baby in uh, somewhere else, ah, he's an American citizen at birth. But he's not a natural-born citizen. I don't care how many of your parents were American citizens, born on the, the you know, United States soil. It doesn't matter. You are not naturally born. And here's another thing. If your status as a citizen in the United States depends upon an act of legislation, you are not natural born. Because natural born means you are not dependent on any legislation. You are a natural born citizen. You were born here naturally. You were not the product of a crime. You were naturally born here. Natural meaning it's natural for people living in the United States to have babies in the United States. It's natural. It is not natural to crawl across the border and pop out a kid and call it a citizen. The Supreme Court has been a disappointment since before the Civil War. And then... (laughs) When Roosevelt came into town, they showed their real colors as cowards. Oh, he's going to pack the court. Oh, he's going to he's going to pack the court. Oh, we better go along with all his unconstitutional crap. Even though they knew it was unconstitutional, they went around uh, they went along with it anyway because they didn't want to lose their power. Facebook threats and free speech. It is illegal to transmit any threat on the phone or the internet. But It's unclear what the government must prove to win a conviction. Anthony Alanis was sent to prison after he boasted on Facebook of how he could kill his ex-wife, hide her body, and slit her throat of an FBI agent who was on the case 
he now says he was just ranting. And prosecutors did not prove he intended to threaten anyone. Hmm, that'll be interesting to see how they come down. He's probably going uh, to prison. Race and housing bias. One of this term's most important civil rights cases will decide the reach of the Fair Housing Act of 1968. It forbids refusing to sell or rent to people because of their race, religion, sex, or national origin. Judges have said it forbids more than blatant acts of bias, but also zoning, lending rules, and housing policies that have a discriminatory effect based on race. However, the court's conservatives are skeptical of bias claims based on statistics. The case of Texas versus Inclusive Communities Project was heard in January. You know what, folks? If there's no actual damaged party and they're just going by oh well statistically blah 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 that's bs because if that's the case how does this court tell american citizens they have no standing to challenge the president's legitimacy and make him prove that he was born in this country how do they stand there and say you don't have standing but then allow a case that has no damaged party and is simply going by statistics? The court will also decide, politicians in redistricting, whether the voters or politicians can set the election districts for members of Congress. Boy, I sure hope it's the people. At least, uh, at least once a decade, new census data prompts states to redraw their districts. Party leaders can use this power to draw safe seats for their members. Upset by gerrymandering, voters in Arizona and California opted to create an independent commission to draw congressional districts. Arizona's Republican legislatures want the Supreme Court to strike down these commissions and rule the Constitution reserves this power to the legislature. The case of Arizona State Legislature versus Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission was heard in March. You know, gosh, I really hope that the commission wins on this because obviously this is uh, something that the, the local politicians really want real bad to keep their seats. Because you see, Arizona and California have some of the worst politicians on the earth. Oh, John McCain and the flake guy? Yeah, why are they senators? Why do people keep electing John McCain? Is it because he's in a safe district? Why do people keep electing all these creeps in California? Is it because, oh, gerrymandering? Yeah, and this is not anything new either. Toxic air and power plants. The Environmental Protection Agency is set to force power plants to sharply reduce emissions of mercury, arsenic, and other hazardous pollutants. The coal and power industry is backed by... Republican-led states say the nearly $10 billion a year required to abide by the rule is too high. The case of Michigan versus EPA offers a test of whether the high court will uphold the Obama administration's most ambitious clean air rules, including proposed climate change standards. Ha! Well, you know what? These states should have told, you know, you pay for it. You want to come in here and start telling us what to do, you pay for it. Headscarves and religious liberty. Here we go. Now, remember the case of the Marine who wasn't even allowed to have a Bible verse on her computer at her own desk. The case of a 17-year-old Muslim girl who wore a black headscarf and was turned down for a sales job at an 
Abercrombie & Fitch store calls on the court to clarify the rules for religion in the workplace. Must a job applicant ask for a religious accommodation, or does an employer have a duty to ask her whether workplace rules conflict with her religion? Well, you know what? What if I take up the religion of uh, one of the American Indians, and uh, you know my religion says I eat I eat peyote all day? Can I have a job, or can I at least be not arrested and sent to prison? Oh, no, I can't because the courts have ruled, no, 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 see, no, 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 that's different. See, that's different because, uh, well, it's just different because we say it's different. Mm -hmm. Raising growers and private property. The court, this is the kind of crap that the Supreme Court of the United States hears, okay? And I say that because you know the list of cases they've refused to hear. Yeah. The court will decide whether it's it's an unconstitutional taking of private property for a government-backed raisin board to seize as much as one-third of a farmer's annual crop. The case could unravel one of the last New Deal-era programs that allows farmers to band together with government backing to prop up prices. License plates and Confederate flags. The court will decide whether specialty license plates speak for the state or its motorists. At issue is whether the First Amendment forbids states from refusing to produce plates because of their message, such as the Confederate battle flag. Motel registers and police searches. The court will decide whether Los Angeles may require motel owners to keep a guest registry that is always available for immediate inspection by the police. The U.S. Ninth Circuit Court said the city's ordinance violated the Fourth Amendment and its ban on unreasonable searches. Boy, sure hope the Supreme Court decides to say, oh no, we're going with the Ninth Circuit, but sorry to say, the Ninth Circuit is the most overturned circuit in the whole uh, court system. Death penalty and legal injection, lethal injection. The justices are sharply split on how states such as Oklahoma carry out executions. They will decide whether prison authorities lacking access to sodium theopental may use a less effective sedative which has been blamed for several botched executions. You know what? Just bring back the firing squad. You know? I mean, honestly, just, you know, come on. Child victims and trial testimony. The court will decide whether a child abuse suspect can block the trial testimony of a preschool teacher who reported what a three-year-old told her. Uh, it is hearsay, isn't it? Usually, young children are shielded from testifying, but the Sixth Amendment gives the accused the right to be confronted with the witnesses against him. The court has struggled to decide when others, like a teacher, can testify in place of the witness to a crime. So they just basically say, screw the Constitution! You don't get to face your accuser. We're going to take hearsay. You're going to take hearsay from a teacher, a socialist, psychologically manipulated, most probably communist pedophile. You're going to take their word that the child actually said that. After what? After what? 
The teacher extracted a confession from the child after how many hours in a room locked alone away from the parents? Hmm? Now, all in all, this might sound good to you folks because, oh, well, poor little babies, we don't want them to have to, you know, actually face their accuser. I mean, we don't want them to have to do that. It'll be traumatic, traumatic, oh boy. Well, hey, you know what? If you're going to accuse people of things, then you should be able to face them. I don't care how old you are. Now, some of you might be more sympathetic and say, yes, but it's traumatic and it's no good, and why not let the adult do it? Well, you know what? If I could trust the adult, maybe that would be one thing. But I do not trust teachers. I do not trust psychologists. I do not trust psychiatrists. I do not trust the school nurse. I do not trust any of these government employees. They will lock your child away from you and question them and interrogate them and bribe them to get the testimony they want. And then what? After they do this, then they get to go to court and say, well, you know, little Susie uh, admitted to all this. And when really... It was a coerced situation. Bad. Very bad. But that's the kind of stuff that the Supreme Court is considering. So, you know, we'll have that coming up. And and that's only a few things, man. There's there's tons more stuff. Tons more stuff. Uh, what'd they say? 50 cases or something? That's only 10. Can't imagine what the other ones are like. But, you know, this is where we're at, folks, and uh, things are not going to get any better. And you're not going to get any relief from the you know, from the Supreme Court. I'm sorry. Uh, they're not going to make things any better. And uh, you're not going to get it from Congress. Look at them. They're fighting to keep their gerrymandering ability alive. Oh, they don't want... Pro- they don't want... You know, uh, the people. Oh, the people deciding? No, we can't have the people deciding. The people might actually be fair about this. They might actually draw up some lines. I mean, hey, tell me why we have to have these districts anyway. Why do we have congressional districts? Why don't we just use the counties? Why don't we just use the counties? That would take care of any gerrymandering, wouldn't it? Hey, Divide up how many people are in each county and, you know, divvy up the uh, representatives. But no, no, no. No, we don't want to do that. And I know about gerrymandering. You know where I live is a very conservative area. Yet my congresswoman was from Ashland, who was like liberal commie land. Why? Because that's how they drew it up. Why? Because they don't want a solid block of conservative voters. They want to split it up. With their commies. So they take their commie region and then expand it into a really conservative area, but only so far. Certainly only like maybe 20%, but it's enough to diminish your strong voting block. Should be a crime, folks, but then again, hey, we got the criminals running the place, so... Anyway... Gotta go. I'll be back again tomorrow. As always, thanks for listening. Can't put it out another day. I don't care what others say. They think we don't listen anyway. Time has come today. Hey! 
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. has become the cancer that is eating the lives of both peoples. What the occupation did for us, it reduced us into animals in a way that sometimes I'm ashamed to say that I'm in Israel. This is, you know, a huge uh, uh, bluff of, 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 you know, of the Israeli establishment, that every, you know, criticism of its policy is anti-Semitism. Sometimes I feel pity for the Israeli mothers, because they are thinking that their, their soldiers or their sons are victorious soldiers, but they should come and see what their soldiers are doing here. Twenty-five years ago, I made a film called Palestine is Still the Issue. It was about a nation of people, the Palestinians, forced off their land and later subjected to a military occupation by Israel, an occupation condemned by the United Nations and almost every country in the world, including Britain. But Israel is backed by a very powerful friend, the United States. So in 25 years, if we're to speak of the great injustice here, nothing has changed. What has changed is that the Palestinians have fought back. Stateless and humiliated for so long, they've risen up against Israel's huge military machine, although they themselves have no army, no tanks, no American planes and gunships or missiles. Some have committed desperate acts of terror, like suicide bombing. 
But for Palestinians, the overriding routine terror, day after day, has been the ruthless control of almost every aspect of their lives, as if they live in an open prison. This film is about the Palestinians and a group of courageous Israelis united in the oldest human struggle to be free. April, troops and tanks of the Israeli army attacked Ramallah and other towns in occupied Palestine. This was reported as an incursion to stop terrorism. In fact, it was also an attack on civilian life, on schools, offices, clinics, theatres, radio stations. This systematic vandalism is typical of one of the longest military occupations in modern times. Even the culture ministry was destroyed. The director, Liana Badri, a distinguished novelist and filmmaker, showed me the devastation shortly after it had happened. This is the administration room. We had a lot of files here. You can see that everything were broken. It was the best place in the ministry. I mean, what you did here was promote projects for Palestinian culture, basically. Filmmaking, projects for children. Uh, exhibitions, uh, book exhibitions, uh, painters exhibitions, uh, uh, festivals, uh, dance, uh, folklore. Uh, we had a lot of projects. Now we don't have anything to begin. We don't have computers, equipment, furniture. And we have this feeling of humiliation. The smell is awful, isn't it? Look at this. This is, awful, yes. this, is a, this is a bag of shit, and the shit smeared all over the photocopier. Two. Two. Uh, so they just ate and, and, and defecated shit, yes. in the same place. Yes, and uh, putting them on the photocopy. Putting the shit everywhere, even on the walls. And you can see that we have toilets. Two toilets in every floor, but they didn't use the toilets. All the time they were making it on the floor or anywhere, as you can see. We have a look in this room in here. Good grief. Look at this. These are children's drawings, aren't they? Yes. This is the room specialized for children's work, children's paintings and children's culture, and to encourage yeah. them to paint, to let them express themselves, to make competition, writing competitions. But you can see how they destroyed everything. They don't respect anything. They just want to come and destroy, and this is the systematic terrorism of the Israeli state. For the Palestinians, this cultural vandalism means a deliberate intention to destroy them as a nation. The heart of the conflict here is a struggle for land, for the hills and valleys of Palestine, for precious water and fertile soil. 
During the early 20th century, the great majority of the population of Palestine were Palestinian Arabs. In 1948, Israel was founded in the shadow of the Holocaust. For the Palestinians, this meant the loss of 78% of their country. Today, they are seeking only the remaining 22% of their homeland. For 35 years, that homeland has been dominated by Israel. In 1987, the Palestinians rose up in what they call Intifada. History will surely call it a war of national liberation. They fought mainly with slingshots against tanks and planes, and they were put down with this kind of brutality. Israeli soldiers deliberately breaking the bones of prisoners. Some of the soldiers later insisted they were carrying out official Israeli policy. Two years ago, the Palestinians rose up a second time. This was hardly surprising. During curfews, people live under a form of house arrest. Without notice, they can be locked inside their homes. Their ordinary lives are a maze of controls, roadblocks, checkpoints. This is how I remembered apartheid South Africa. The hidden effect is the same. Humiliation and anger and death. This Palestinian woman knows how devastating the impact of checkpoints can be. Last October, she was about to give birth to her second child, and she and her husband set out for the nearby hospital. They were stopped at an Israeli roadblock where they pleaded to be let through. <laughs> فهي قطعت حبل السرة في شفرة ويوعي الولد يعني ضل يوعي الولد فعاود لفن جاكيتا ولفينا عن طريق كريمزان اتصل في سيارة من كرايبة شوفير عاودنا فلانا لما وصلنا المستشفى الفرنساوي اللي هو الولد متوفي Stories like Fatima's seldom make headlines, and yet many similar cases have been documented.
عندهم يعني تأفين شو الكلمة كلب يحو ولا يحو عربي Palestinians try to lead a normal life, but life is never normal. During Israeli military operations, curfews stop everything. Ambulances are denied access to the sick and wounded. Children are stopped from going to school. The Israelis claim this is necessary for their security. If that's true, it's clearly not working. And the security of Palestinians is almost never mentioned. You feel all your life that you are humiliated. You don't control yourself. You don't control the air you are breathing. You don't. I don't want. I don't want to talk about planning for anything. This is something we don't even dream about. Plan to next hour or next day what we will do. This is something we don't even dream about because our destiny is not in our hands. It's in the hands of the others who decide how we will live. How we will get married? To get married, to come and live with my husband in this country, I have to take the permission of the Israelis. It's not enough that they took our land and they are not allowing us to have our own state, but also they are controlling every detail in our life. Some Israelis have spoken out. More than 500 soldiers have refused to serve in the occupied territories. We are, they've said, like the Chinese student who stood in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square, we are the conscience of our country. Ishai Rosensby is one of them. I really think the real story of the occupation is there in the checkpoint. I cannot forget this kind of picture, you know, five in the morning, quarter to five in the morning, hundreds of, a line of hundreds of people waiting, you know, to pass in the, in the checkpoint, and you're standing there and you see their eyes, some, the, the, the humiliation, the frustration, the hatred. Them, you are the occupation. You have all the power. They have no power. You can at every second take their ID and then they are, you know, they have nothing. Because without identification, you can, you know, every soldier can, can arrest them. You are the man that stand there, keep them without rights, without freedom. The world often sees the issue of Palestine through the tragedy and horror of suicide bombings, an expression of despair by powerless people against an oppressor armed with modern weapons. The first female suicide bomber struck in January 2002. Her name was Wafa Idris, the only daughter of a family of refugees who were driven out of their home near Tel Aviv. She was 28, an ambulance volunteer. واللي صار اللي حصل يعني انه صارت عمليه يعني كانت مفاجاه لنا What makes an ambulance volunteer a carer become a suicide bomber طبعا كانت هي تيجي على البيت تحكي لنا انه اليوم في واحد استشهد طبعا نزل مخه على الارض مصاريره كانت طالعه اجره كانت طالعه من محلها 
طبعا هاي نوع اثر عليها بعض الحالات حتى اللي بيكون يعني بعض الفتيات بتكون حوامل بدها تولد طبعا تولد على الحاجز يموت الطفل تبعها على الحاجز صوبت ثلاث مرات في رصاص المطاط يعني هذا انا بتوقع انه هذا يكون دافع قوي انها تنتقم لابناء شعب السوسايد بومبس ار بريزنتد تو ذا اسرائيلي بابليك از ان انسين اكت باي ان انسين بيبل ويذ هوم ذير از نو تشانس فور بيس انستيد اوف بوتينج ا وايدر اناليسيس which would say there is a, a way out of the suicide bombs while everybody con condemns them and rightly so there is a way out of it and the way out of it is to provide the circumstances in which uh, these young people would find uh, avenues of hope instead of avenues of despair there is i would say an orchestrated campaign to silence that kind of uh, analysis inside israel Suicide attacks against civilians are clearly crimes, and they are used by extremists. But the extremists rely on the brutality of the occupation and the despair of their young volunteers. Some extraordinary Israelis are brave enough to recognize this. Rami Elhanan is one Israeli father who knows about suicide bombing. On September the 4th, 1997, His daughter Shmada was killed by one. She was 14 years old. She was a child of peace. She was full of life. Very laughing girl. Very good student. Dancing. Everything that little girls do. It was the first day of school and she was going down the Ben Yehuda Street, which is some kind of a mall, to buy some books for the new year with two girlfriends of hers. One of them, Sivan Zaga, died with her, and the other, Daniela Birman, was very, very severely wounded. Rami is a graphic designer and a former soldier. His father survived Auschwitz. His grandparents, six aunts and uncles, perished in the Holocaust. How, how do you distinguish the feelings of anger that any father would have felt at losing your daughter in such circumstances? I'm not crazy. I don't forget. I don't forgive. Someone who murders little girls, anyone who murders little girls, is a criminal and should be punished. But if you think from the head and not from the gut, and you look what made people do what they do, people that don't have hope, people who are desperate enough to commit suicide, you have to ask yourself, have you contributed in any way for this despair? for this craziness. It, it hasn't come out of the blue. The boy, that his mother was humiliated in the morning at the checkpoint, will commit suicide in the evening. The suicide bomber was a victim, the same as my girl was. Of that I'm sure. You have to understand 
where these suicide bombers come from. Understanding is part of the way to solving the problem. Few people have been betrayed so often as the Palestinians. Before the Second World War, the British ran Palestine as a mandate. They had promised the Palestinians an independent state, but they also promised Palestine to the Jewish movement known as Zionism. In 1948, when the State of Israel was founded, the Arab world revolted as Palestinians were expelled from their homes or forced to flee in a blitz of fear and terror. Three quarters of a million people became refugees. Israel's military hero, General Moshe Dayan, later admitted, Jewish places were built in the place of Arab villages there is not one single place in the country that did not have a former Arab population. While Palestinians were denied the right to return to their homes, anybody who could prove they were Jewish had the right to settle in Israel. In 1967, Palestinians once again fled their homes during the Six-Day War when Israel occupied the remaining 22% of Palestine describing this as an act of self-defense. To the Palestinians, it seems that Israel's colonizing never stops. This looks like a medieval fortress. The Israelis call it a Jewish settlement. In fact, it's part of a network of armed colonies that by one estimate effectively control 42% of the occupied West Bank. Many of them dominate and intimidate Palestinian communities. They are illegal under international law and have been condemned by the United Nations. When I came to West Bank and saw all these settlements, Israeli settlements, on the tops of the hills, you know, surrounding all the cities, so you feel that they are over you, they are superior. Mm. And you are the the ant, the, the insect, down, you know? And you know this is your land, it's nobody's else land, this is our land. But still, they are the ones who are on the tops, and they have all the weapons, uh, and they, they control also everything in the West Bank. This is Moshe Dan. He's taking me to a Jewish settlement in the south of the country, in Palestinian Gaza. I see here, this is all electrified fence along here, isn't it? Electrified barbed wire. I mean, this is a, a, almost a constant state of war, isn't it, really? I mean, if you have to put on something like electrified barbed wire. It is today. Wire. It is today. The barbed wire is new because of the situation where Jews are driving home on the road and some guy who is a Pal supposed to be a Palestinian policeman shoots the car up. The Israelis bring with them a version of apartheid. We pass this road being built for the sole use of Jewish settlers and soldiers. Until it's opened, these Palestinians must wait hours for the few settlers to drive by. Doesn't that strike you 
as remarkable that there is a, a road for only one ethnic group of people, a Jews only road? It wasn't always like that. But it Jews, is now. It is now. The reason because many, uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, a school bus, a bus was blown up, an Israeli school bus, as it was traveling from Kfar Darum by uh, Arab terrorists. So we decided that the best thing to do would be to create some kind of separation. There doesn't seem to be any doubt that the majority of people deeply resent the presence of this settlement. The, look, I don't know what the, the actual people, the Arabs who live here, feel and think. Uh, on a political level, they, I'm sure, would prefer not to be under Israeli rule. But in terms of raising their families and supporting their families, this is, I think, one of the best solutions for them. For 35 years, the United Nations has voted on this best solution. Almost unanimously, it has called on Israel to respect international law and get out of occupied Palestine. Inside the settler's fortress is a surreal middle-class suburb dropped into one of the most overcrowded and poorest corners of the world. One of the strategic aims here is the control of water, which is precious in the Middle East. While Palestinians often don't have enough running water, Sometimes none at all in the heat of summer, the settlers seldom run out. And the symbol of the occupation is this wall. The thing that is striking about this settlement is that it's, it's like a fortress. I mean, this is like a Berlin Wall. Like the Berlin Wall, very bad. We don't feel uh, comfortable. Mm. Uh, we live here, uh, I'm here for 15 years without these walls, fences and everything. We live very normal. This uh, last year changed all, all the rules in the area. Yeah. Everything was changed. The justification for taking somebody else's land is biblical. That God gave them Palestine, and God, not the history of others, is their witness. I'm here because it's obvious, that's my place. It's not something it's in my hands that we can, you know, we can give it back. Not me, not any politician or, or, or any, anybody, or uh, par parliament or whatever because it's, it's a movement. It's something comes 3,000 years ago when Moses brought us here and we have in our mind, we have the dream of building a temple in Jerusalem. Something a lot bigger than religion. Where, where will it end though? If there's no compromise, doesn't that mean conflict? Where? Life is full with conflicts. I don't know what to say. I know maybe I'm saying something too 
strong. It's 1-0 game. We will fight. The conflict is here. We will fight. It's 1-0 game. Not to kill each other, but it's us or them. On the other side of the wall is the reality of Palestine. At yet another checkpoint, people are waiting and waiting. Let me just take you in a journey from Gaza to Khan Yunis. This normal journey usually takes 20 minutes to reach from Gaza town to Khan Yunis. But after this checkpoint, this journey sometimes takes people from four to nine hours. People, as you see here, waiting to go from Gaza to Khan Yunis to, to guarantee the security of the passage of two or three settlers. Yeah. So it is the security... So two or three security. settlers will drive along here. In the meantime, all this traffic has to bank up. Exactly. How long will these people be here, do you think, to sort of guess? These people, they will stay till tomorrow morning because the road is closed now. It will not be reopened until tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock in the morning. Dr. El Farah's family used to own land near this crossing. The Israelis confiscated it and demolished a home. And this is typical of what happens almost every day in occupied Palestine. They demolished my house and uh, another 26 houses the same night. I call it terrorism. Here I call it terrorism. How long has your family lived there? Maybe back to 900 years. We were in the same place. I feel angry. I feel uh, devastated. I feel abandoned by the world. Let me be frank with you. I feel that nobody is taking care of us. This is Gaza, just a few miles down the road from the affluence of the Israeli settlement. The contrast is extraordinary. Almost a million Palestinians are trapped behind electrified barbed wire and roadblocks. Always waiting for invasion, their defences are pathetic mounds of sand. Fear has a permanent presence. Waiting for the invasion is worse than the invasion itself. Because you're waiting, you don't know when, where, and how they will hit to, or come in. The first time they bombed in Gaza, I was still in another flat, and we had children, many children in the, in the building. And oh, I heard all the children and their mothers screaming and crying. The half-built buildings of Gaza are a testament to the hopes raised, then dashed, by the talk of an independent Palestine. Without Israeli permission, most people can't leave and they can't return. They can't get to jobs. Their produce can't get to market. Most struggle to live on about a pound a day, a poverty compounded by an Israeli policy called closure. You see, for Israel to sustain this unsustainable occupation, it is transforming every city and every Palestinian town and village into a prison, basically, surrounded by tanks, surrounded by walls, surrounded by fences. 
And it's not like they're building a border between us and Israel. It's building borders inside West Bank and Gaza, between our cities and towns for the sake of their settlement. They are obliging us to be occupied people and not citizens. The United States, Mr. Prime Minister, has been proud of its association with the State of Israel. Rest assured that the security of Israel is a principal objective of this administration. I want everybody to know, should I be the president, Israel is going to be our friend. I'm going to stand by Israel. Israel's occupation of Palestine would not be possible without the backing of America. In the oil-rich Middle East, Israel is America's deputy sheriff, receiving billions of dollars along with the latest weapons, F-16 aircraft, bombs, missiles, Apache helicopters. Today, Israel is the fourth largest military power in the world, and it has nuclear weapons. We, we saw an Apache helicopter circling in the sky above our head, then shooting a missile. The rockets fell just 200 meters from our house. All our windows were shattered. I had a child in front of me, my daughter, who was 11 years old, shivering from fear, worried, frightened to death. And I could do nothing to protect her. And you don't know whether in the second minute you or your daughter will be dead. That feeling of impotence is indescribable and I will never forget it. This is bomb damage in Gaza. Although America is Israel's main arms supplier, it's not widely recognized that Britain also fuels the conflict here even though it condemns Israel for its illegal occupation. During the first 14 months of the Palestinian uprising, the Blair government approved 230 export licenses for weapons and military equipment to Israel. The categories these covered included large caliber weapons, ammunition, bombs, and vital parts for military aircraft that almost certainly included American-supplied combat helicopters you may have seen these Apache gunships on the news firing missiles at densely populated areas. Tony Blair has said, and I quote him, we are doing everything we can to bring peace and stability to the Middle East. As much as they humiliate us and, uh, and kill us, and destroy our land, destroy everything we do. Our schools, our, organ, our organizations, infrastructure, everything they like to destroy. But this gives us more power to continue and resist. In the news we get, only the Palestinians are described as terrorists. And yet the Israelis have a long history of terrorism, both before and since the founding of the Jewish state. At least three Israeli prime ministers have been involved in campaigns of terror. The tragic scene is like a serious incident during the Blitz. The hotel housed the British Army headquarters and the Palestine government offices, and casualties were very heavy. 
The commander of the terrorist group that blew up the King David Hotel in Jerusalem in 1946 was Monaikan Begin. 91 people were killed. Monaikan Begin was Israeli Prime Minister in the 70s and 80s. He once described the massacre as a splendid act of conquest. Yitzhak Shamir was Prime Minister until 1992. He had been a leader of a Jewish group called the Stern Gang, which carried out a string of assassinations. When those Israelis, who are now famous names, committed acts of terrorism just before the birth of Israel, you could have said to them, nothing justifies what you've done, ripping apart all those lives. And they would say, it did justify it. Well, What's the difference? I think we have now, as an international community, come to a new understanding. I think after September 11th, the world got a wake-up call. Because terrorism today is no longer the mad bomber, the anarchist who throws in a, an explosive device into a crowd to make a point. Terrorism is going to move from the present situation to non-conventional terrorism, to nuclear terrorism. And before we reach that point, we have to remove this scourge from the earth. And therefore, whether you're talking about the struggle here between Israelis and Palestinians, the struggle in Northern Ireland, the struggle in Sri Lanka, or any of the places where terrorism has been used, we must make a global commitment of all free democracies to eliminate this threat from the world, period. Does that include state terrorism? No country has the right to deliberately target civilians, as no organization has a right to deliberately target civilians. That's what Israelis have been doing for years. The present Israeli Prime Minister, Ariel Sharon, has long been involved in terror. In 1983, he was found indirectly but personally responsible for a civilian massacre by Lebanese militia in two Palestinian refugee camps. At least 800 innocent people were murdered in cold blood, most of them Palestinians. What about Israeli terrorism now? The language of terrorism you have to be very careful with. Terrorism means deliberately targeting civilians in a kind of warfare. That's what the terrorism against Israeli schools coffee shops, malls, has been all about. Israel specifically targets, to the best of its ability, uh, Palestinian terrorist organizations. All right. when, when an Israeli sniper shoots an old lady with a cane trying to get into a hospital for her chemotherapy treatment in front of uh, a lot of the world's press, for one, and frankly, we'd be here all day with other examples. Isn't that terrorism? I don't know the case you're speaking about, but I can be convinced of one thing. Mm -hmm. An Israeli who takes aim, even an Israeli sniper, is taking aim at those engaged in terrorism. Unfortunately, in every kind of warfare, there are cases of civilians who are accidentally killed. Terrorism means putting the crosshairs of the sniper's rifle on a civilian 
deliberately. Well, that's, that that's what I just what, described. No, I can tell you that did not happen. It did happen, and, and I think that's where some people have problem with the argument that terrorism exists on, on one side. Your definition is absolutely correct about civilians, and those suicide bombers are terrorists. If but, you mix terrorism and counterterrorism, if you create some kind of moral obfuscation, you will bring about not just a problem for Israel, but you will bring, up, bring about a problem for the entire Western alliance, because we are all facing this threat. It's hard to see the difference between what the Israelis call counter-terrorism and terrorism. Whatever the target, both involve the killing of innocent people. This is what happened when Prime Minister Sharon sent tanks into Bethlehem earlier this year. We had a day before a private hospital director who was uh, going from the hospital in Al-Khadr to Bethlehem to get supplies for his hospital. His plate number was known to the soldier. His name was known to the soldier and they knew that he is the director of a hospital, but he was shot by a high velocity bullet. In 1988, the Palestine Liberation Organization, led by Yasser Arafat, recognized Israel's right to exist and Israeli sovereignty over 78% of Palestine. It was an historic compromise. And in the early 90s, a breakthrough for peace seemed possible. It was in this room in a Jerusalem hotel that the first direct talks between Israeli and Palestinian officials took place in 1991. These led to further meetings and an agreement in the Norwegian capital, Oslo, that set up an autonomous mini-state in the territories occupied by Israel since 1967. For Yasser Arafat and his people, it was seen as a beginning, but the reality was different. What the majority of Palestinians got was a classic colonial fix. Arafat and his elite got the trappings and privileges of power, while the mass of the people got what one Israeli journalist called the autonomy of a prisoner of war camp. In July 2000, the two sides met in America to reach a final agreement. But among the issues they discussed was a profound disagreement about just how much land was on offer. Israel's Prime Minister at the time, Ehud Barak, claimed he'd offered the Palestinians almost all the occupied territories back and said that Arafat had rejected this. In reality, the Israelis were expanding more and more illegal settlements on Palestinian land, even during the negotiations. Add to that the special access roads with their checkpoints, and the Palestinians say that all that was left was a group of colonies with their borders patrolled by military bases. It's very important to understand that from a Palestinian point of view, they were asked to sign in the end of the day a document which did not relate even to one of the central issues for which they had been struggling for more than 100 years. They are left eventually with an offer of 10% of what used to be Palestine 
the Israelis who dictated this offer in the summer of 2000 are not even talking about a proper state. We're talking in that area of a stateless state, I would call it, a Bantustan, with no genuine sovereignty, with no independent foreign economic or political policies, uh, with no proper capital, uh, and at the mercy of the Israeli security services and the Israeli policy. Not only that, but there is now documented evidence that the Palestinians had made an extraordinary offer to the Israelis, conceding even more of their land. But this was not news at the time. If there is no justice for the Palestinians, there will be a reckoning in the young generation. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. رح نلتقي مع بعض أنا وياكم علشان نعمل اللي هو اللقاء حول الرسم الحر. Dr. Dahlan runs a project for children in Gaza. He asked these boys to draw anything that was on their minds. Most of these children are traumatized by the fear and violence of the occupation. The majority of our children exposed directly to the uh, attack or to the bombardment by the Israeli army is traumatized. There is many, many uh, symptoms. Children became anxious and uh, depressed and uh, make, for example, uh, sleep disorder as uh, nightmares or sleepwalking or something like that. Many, many. Uh, ch uh, children, they cannot concentrate well to study. Nearly every drawing is of violence. Nearly every family in Gaza has lost someone either to an Israeli jail or to violence. Dr. Dalan's goal is to help the children keep the last thing that belongs to them, their sanity and their life. Ah, uh, there is a conflict between the Israeli soldiers with the tanks and the Palestinian kids who threw stones mm. and uh, they cry la ilaha illallah there is no god except Allah what children in other parts of the world would draw as fantasy they draw here as real life yes war in violence this is a good thing to protect the children from the uh, mental disease I don't want my child that I've been working on having for 15 years to come and when he's 10 years old, he goes to a settlement and he wants to commit suicide. And the only way, the only way to stop all this suffering, now we say it on both sides too, is to have a Palestinian state according to UN resolution. When will Israel agree to negotiate with the Palestinians, not for what they call a few banter stands on the West Bank, but for a state that is as peaceful, as secure, above all, as independent as Israel itself. You want Israel to um, concede the terms of that negotiation up front on television? Or is it better to agree to the general principle well, well, what, and then okay. sit with the Palestinians 
in a face-to-face negotiation once they stop violence against us. Well, what about this? The general principle, then, of a, a, a state as independent, as independent as Israel. We do not need a string of adjectives to agree to. You agree to the principle? Well, that's a fair principle, isn't it? What's, what's a state worth if it isn't independent? What we're speaking about is our willingness to negotiate with the Palestinians their self-government, and we are willing to create a Palestinian self-governing entity, some call it a Palestinian state, which will address the real needs of the Palestinians. What right have you to create somebody else's homeland? Well, we are being asked to negotiate that. We are willing to be part of that. We're willing to make a contribution to that. We are not going to upfront go into details about its geographic configuration or its powers. That's part of the negotiation. I support sanctions, uh, selective sanctions on Israel because I tell my uh, friends here and my colleagues, I would rather have you pay an economic price than pay the price I think you will pay in, in terms of human lives. The, the stronger party in the conflict, Israel, has to understand that there is a price for going on with the policies it carries. What do you say to those fellow Israelis who will inevitably come up with um, the view that in the end we're going to be pushed into the sea? This expression will by be pushed into... By this mosquito, we are the most powerful power in the Middle East. We have one of the greatest and more powerful armies in the world. In this last operation there were four divisions, armored divisions, against some 500, 2,000 armed people. It's, it's a laugh. Who will push us into the sea? Until recently, Israel has enjoyed almost an immunity from criticism among Western politicians. This has been largely due to a fear of being labelled anti-Semitic, a fear manipulated by the Israeli government and its foreign lobbies. I think the Holocaust memory does not allow any moral criticism of anything that Israel does. Europeans in particular, and the outside world in general, are not allowed to voice criticism on Israel unless, again, uh, what Israel is doing is akin to what the Germans had done uh, to the Jews. And if you do criticize Israel, you are immediately charged with anti-Semitism. This is, you know, a huge uh, uh, bluff of, 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 you know, of the Israeli establishment, that every, you know, criticism of its policy is anti-Semitism. And criticizing your government, your country's policy is today, I think, is the only patriotic thing where one can do. The Israeli government denies it, but Palestinians fear that there are plans to take all of Palestine, trapping or expelling them indefinitely. We are not against the Jews. And that's why I have Jewish friends. They are against, politically, the governments of Israel and the army of Israel who denies our rights. And I hope, I hope to have peace here with the, with the Israelis. But with dignity, this is very important for us. With dignity, it means with our full rights. 
The Palestinians will never be destroyed. They will never disappear. We are not the Indians. We will not be cancelled from history just like this. No. It is not surprising that the Jewish people of Israel should feel insecure. No one should ever forget that the most devastating genocide in human history happened only two generations ago. But a true sensitivity to that awful memory comes from the same basic humanity that recognizes the suffering of the Palestinian people and the courage of their endurance. The truth is that Israelis will never have peace until they recognize that Palestinians have the same right to the same peace and the same independence that they enjoy. Recently, that great voice of freedom, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, asked this. Have the Jewish people of Israel forgotten their collective punishment, their home demolitions, their humiliations so soon? Israel's own dissenting voices have not forgotten and those who speak out in this film honor the best traditions of Jewish humanity. If Rami, the man who lost a young daughter in a suicide attack, can understand the root cause of the violence here, isn't it time that others broke their silence? The occupation of Palestine should end now. Then the solution is clear. Two countries, Israel and Palestine, neither dominating nor menacing the other. Is that impossible? Or is history to witness the consequences of yet another silence? Did you hear about the Fed? No, what about the Fed? 
They announced another round of the quantitative easing. What does that mean? It means they are going to make large asset purchases via POMO. What does that mean? It means they are going to expand their balance sheet and buy treasuries. What does that mean? It means they are going to print a ton of money. So why do they call it the quantitative easing? Why don't they just call it the printing money? Because the printing money is the last refuge of failed economic empires and banana republics, and the Fed doesn't want to admit this is their only idea. So why do they want to print the money? Because they say we have the deflation, and the deflation is very bad. What is the deflation? The deflation is when prices of the things we buy go down. Isn't that good? Doesn't it mean the people can buy more of the stuff? Yes, but the Fed said this is bad, especially during the recession. So they think that during the recession, when the people have less money to buy the stuff, it is bad that the prices go down? Yes, the Fed would rather have the inflation. So why does the Fed think we have the deflation? Because the CPI said so. But aren't the food prices higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the gas prices higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the health care costs higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't tuition prices higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the taxes higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the subway fares higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the stock prices higher than a year ago? Yes. Aren't the bond prices higher than a year ago? Yes. So what is deflating right now? The only thing deflating that I can see is the Fed's credibility. Did they have a lot of credibility to start with? No. Why not? Because the Fed has been wrong about every major economic development in the past 20 years. You mean they didn't see the Internet stock bubble? No. In fact, they helped fuel the Internet stock bubble. And they didn't see the housing bubble? No, in fact, they helped cause the housing bubble. And they didn't see the subprime crisis? No, in fact, they told us subprime problems were contained right before the shit hit the fan and the Lehman went bankrupt. So has the Fed ever been right about anything? Let me see if I can think of anything. Nope, nothing. Who runs the Fed? The Fed is run by the Ben Bernanke. Does the Ben Bernanke have a lot of business experience? No, the Ben Bernanke has no business experience. Does the Ben Bernanke have a lot of policy experience? No, the Ben Bernanke has no policy experience. Has the Ben Bernanke ever run in an election? No, the Ben Bernanke has never run in an election. So what qualifies him to run the Fed? I don't know, maybe the fact that he has a nice beard. But my plumber also has a nice beard, and I would not trust him to play God with the economy. No, although when you call the plumber to fix something that is broken, they usually fix it, not break it more. This is true, the plumber is clearly smarter than the Ben Bernanke. Well, that is why he became a plumber and not an economist. How does the Fed execute the quantitative easing? They print the money, and then they buy the Treasury bonds. Do they buy the Treasury bonds from the Treasury Department? No, they buy the Treasury bonds from the Goldman Sachs. You must be shitting me. No. So let me get this straight. If I want to buy the Treasury bonds with my money, I can buy them directly from the Treasury. Yes. And if you want to buy the Treasury bonds with your money, you can buy them from the Treasury. Right. But if the Ben Bernanke wants to buy the Treasury bonds using the American people's money, he does not buy them from the Treasury, he buys them from the Goldman Sachs? Exactly. And does the Goldman Sachs give them a good price? Of course not, they are the Goldman Sachs, they make their living ripping off the American people. But how is the Goldman Sachs able to do this? The Fed announces what it is going to buy, and when it is going to buy, before it does the trade. 
so the Goldman Sachs can front-run the Fed and give them the worst possible price on the Treasury bonds? Yes, exactly. And the Fed is okay with this blatant theft from the American people? Of course, otherwise, the Fed would just buy the Treasury bonds directly from the Treasury Department. Who inside the Fed is responsible for the buying of the Treasury bonds? The buying of the Treasury bonds is conducted by the New York branch of the Federal Reserve. And who is in charge of the New York branch? The head of the New York branch is the William Dudley. And what did the William Dudley do before running the New York Fed? Before running the New York Fed, the William Dudley was a partner at the Goldman Sachs. So the guy in charge of the American people's money when dealing with the Goldman Sachs used to be a partner at the Goldman Sachs? Yes. And nobody has a problem with this? Apparently not. Is this an episode of the Twilight Zone? I don't think so. Are you sure? Pretty sure. So what you are telling me is that the Fed thinks prices are going down when in fact they are going up? Yeah. And they think during the recession, with the high unemployment, it is better if the thing people need to buy cost more money. Correct. According to the Ben Bernanke, the inflation will create the jobs and improve the housing market. Has this ever been tried before? Yes, just last year the Fed tried the quantitative easing with $2 trillion. Did that create the jobs? No. Did it help the housing market? Not at all. Did it help anybody at all? Yes, it helped the Goldman Sachs. How much of the money are they printing now? $600 billion. So even though the first $2 trillion did not create the jobs or improve the housing market, the Fed decided to do another $600 billion anyway? Yes. Who put the Ben Bernanke in charge? The Ben Bernanke was first appointed by the President Bush, then he was reappointed by the President Obama. But wasn't the President Obama supposed to bring the change? Yes. How is putting in charge the same fool who has been wrong about everything, the change? Well, under the President Bush, the Ben Bernanke only blew up the American economy. Under the President Obama, he is working on blowing up the entire global economy. That does not sound like the change we can believe in. Definitely not. Who else supports the Ben Bernanke? Most economists around the world think the quantitative easing is very dangerous. Does anyone think it is a good idea? Yes, the people at the Goldman Sachs. Is this some kind of nightmare? No, it is very real. I want to bang my head against the wall. You should not do that. Why not? Because the health care is too expensive. But didn't the President Obama fix that? No, but that is the subject of a whole other video. Goodbye. major changes to the maps, the people, and the governments in the Middle East. The early morning of June 5th exploded the surprise attack of the Israeli Air Force on the Egyptian airplanes on the ground. 80% of the Egyptian Air Force was destroyed. By June 7th, Israel had destroyed the air forces of Egypt, Syria, and Jordan. They had control of the Sinai Peninsula, Jerusalem, the West Bank, and Gaza. On June 8th, USS Liberty, America's most sophisticated intelligence ship in 1967, was attacked by Israeli air and naval forces in international waters, 13 miles off of El Arish in Sinai. 34 Americans were killed. 172 were wounded. The Israeli and American governments pronounced the attack as a case of mistaken identity. Issy Rehar was the chief of Israeli naval operations. He reported a ship had shelled the port city of El Arish. 
So I think around 12 o'clock, I decided to order three uh, MTBs, motor torpedo boats, from the port of Ashdod. Are you sure you can't see any kind of an identification? And all the words came back, no. If you will be sure that it is a military ship, you can hit it. The first Mirage pilot radioed, oil is spilling out into the water. Another added, great, wonderful, she's burning, she's burning. And El Arish commander reported, he's hit her a lot, there's an oil slick in the water. Then headquarters asked, Menachem, is he screwing her? The next wave was super mysterious, with thousand pound bombs and canisters of jellied gasoline. Someone in southern command called, he's going down low with napalm all the time. The flight leader noted, it would be a blessing if we could have iron bombs. Otherwise, our Navy's going to get here and do the sinking. A pilot interrupted, pay attention. The ship's markings are Charlie Tango Romeo 5. There's no flag on her. And headquarters ordered, leave her. The time now is 14.12, and he says, I see CTR 5. And the minute we hear that, the Air Force stops all operations and says, all our aircraft, all our attack aircraft, please stop. I must say that at that point in time, in my mind, it was an American ship. But that opinion was not shared by the commander of the torpedo boat squadron. He believed it to be a small Egyptian freighter, the El Qasir. We told him uh, there are some doubts about identification. These doubts incredibly did not reach the commanding officer who ordered the torpedoes launched. That the order did not reach the commanding officer on the bridge where you launched the torpedoes. At about the range of uh, thousand yards, or a little bit more than thousand yards, I ordered to prepare the torpedoes and uh, ordered that uh, uh, all commanders will take the uh, action of uh, firing torpedoes. This is the story of the attack on the Liberty, told by Israeli and U.S. government sources. Now, we are going to show you what really happened. The survivors of the 294-man crew of the USS Liberty will tell you their story. Four Purple Hearts. The, the day before, I, 
I was topside when I when Israeli planes came by and very close where we could we could wave to the pilots and they were that close where we could wave back. It was a very clear day. It was a warm day. Sunshine was shining brightly out. Uh, nice breeze blowing, and I distinctly remember hearing the flag flapping in the wind. There was approximately 13 sorties of our ship from 6 o'clock till 12 o'clock in the afternoon. We had a general quarters drill that lasted uh, 45 minutes or so. Our captain, uh, like me being an engineer, really believed in watertight integrity and making sure our people were equipped and knew how to fight fires and repair damage. I was coming to go back to the Trescom area. I stepped out on deck. A plane came by and looked right in the cockpit. He waved, I waved. That's how close they were, and they knew where they were. Well, all the recon flights uh, that they had that morning looking at our ship for approximately six to seven hours, they had a good idea of what they were doing. And uh, they, hit, they hit us hard and fast with everything they had. Commander William McGonagall, the ship's captain, Although he had been badly wounded, most of his bridge crew had been killed. He stayed on the bridge throughout the attack and the long night that followed. Admired and respected by his crew, he received the Congressional Medal of Honor for gallantry. When the plane struck, it was without provocation and certainly unexpected. And they seemed to descend on us from all directions at the same time. Those rockets and machine guns tore the ship. It killed men on deck. And we were defenseless. I heard this big bang, and there was bullet holes all behind in the cushions of the couch that I'd just left. And by the time I got to the door of the ward room, the skipper was on the PA system that we were under attack by unknown forces, manual battle stations. Then the regular general quarter sound alarm went off. And right across the hatch from the ward room is where I would go through, down through decks to my station. When I went through there, there was one rocket that came through and helped me to get down two floors in a dad burned hurry. When I got up off my knees down there, well, we were well under attack. And uh, the skipper again was on the uh, phone system telling uh, auxiliary radio to get word out to anyone that they could that we were under attack by unknown forces and we were in the need of help. My reporter station uh, was Radio Central. It was my responsibility to keep up you know, ship to ship or ship to shore communications. And uh, out on deck in Radio Central, we were taking rounds through the bulkheads. There was a two 55-gallon drums of gasoline just outside the bulkhead on the O1 level that had caught fire from the strafing run, and that was uh, heating that outside bulkhead and peeling the paint off on the inside. There was a lot of smoke in the compartment. There's holes where we were taking rounds where the sunlight shining through, and it was a real surrealistic look. I was topside fighting fires and doing other damage control work throughout the duration of the attack. At the same time, I was able to observe the jets flying overhead, and I also observed the American flag flying from the mast. At no time did that flag hang limp from the mast. I was one of the two signalmen on uh, the USS Liberty uh, when the ship was attacked, and uh, my only job uh, during the attack was to make sure that uh, 
that the flag was flying, so uh, every few minutes I would walk up at the signal bridge up at the mast. And fighting what fire we could with what little water I could give the people topside for the fire, uh, it was really a problem. But on the first pass, they knocked out our, our ability to call for help. The one remaining antenna, which I had shut down because it had some problems in the tuner, is probably why it didn't get hit. I had to jury-rig a you know, coaxial cable directly from the transmitter to the antenna. So we were working feverishly to try to get a signal out uh, at that time, and then finally there was uh, if we were able to get a signal to the sixth fleet, and then they, I was listening or monitoring that uh, communications, and they said that they would be sending aircraft, and so at that point we just felt overjoyed that knowing that there was going to be aircraft coming to our rescue. The initial strike by the planes on the ship commenced at about five minutes after two in the afternoon of 8 June. And the attack lasted about 20 minutes. The ship was fired at from port to starboard, starboard to port, stem to stern, and there was not a single compartment above the waterline that did not have one or more direct penetration by a rocket, machine gun, and they also dropped napalm on the bridge of the ship. At 2.35 p.m., Defense Secretary Robert McNamara recalled the 12 Navy fighters that had been sent to our defense by the carrier Saratoga. At that time, no one aboard the Liberty had identified the attacking Israelis. It was one and one half hours later that our embassy in Israel first told Washington that Israelis had attacked the ship, possibly a U.S. Navy ship. How then did McNamara know to recall the help sent to defend the Liberty? When the ship came under attack, um, now here this general quarters, this is no drill, the ship is under attack by an identified aircraft. And there were ping-pings, we heard a lot of pinging, uh, which were bullets running across the deck, and then we heard explosions. We didn't know what was going on, but of course General Quarters had sounded, so we battened down the hatches and um, we started doing what we were trained to do. We were under attack. We could hear these shells hitting the ship. The whole ship would ring. It was like you were on the inside of a huge bell and someone beating on it with a sledgehammer. The aircraft take pictures as they fire their guns. These are used for analysis of their tactics, and these are used for confirmation of the damage that they've done. These pictures have never been publicly presented. Lieutenant Ennis was sitting on the deck, and there was blood coming out of his mouth, and his knee was, was damp, uh, he had an injury in his knee, and there was blood coming out of it. Lieutenant Koff had got blown off, I think, the old four level, but had come across him, and he was just peppered from head to toe with shrapnel. And I covered him up with a blanket. My brother, he was sent to um, on the bridge of the ship to find out what was uh, who the planes were, where they came from. They had no markings. That's against the Geneva Rules of War right there. Uh, he received a silver star for his efforts. Um, he was cut down by the planes. The captain, initially after the attack, sustaining a shrapnel wounds in his knee, and somebody put a, a tourniquet around his leg, 
and I got coffee. I think about five cups of coffee went down the cap to keep him going. It was impressive because with all the blood loss and everything, he was, he was going all night long. A short time after the air attack had been completed, the three torpedo boats approached us from our starboard quarter at high speed and in an apparent torpedo launch attitude. The three Israeli torpedo boats fired six torpedoes at the Liberty. Because of Captain McGonagall's handling of the ship, five men. Intelligence base was destroyed. 25 American sailors died almost instantly. This hole on the side was uh, in excess of 40 feet in diameter. You could put your whole house in that hole. And we were right in the middle of it. We couldn't believe what we saw. You couldn't walk around that part of the deck without stepping on a piece of someone. In fact, Phil Turney and myself had found a shoe with a foot still in it. I do remember the, the alarm standby to abandon ship. Don't believe your station yet. They were getting preparing to, and then that was called off because apparently the life rafts had been shot up. So there were, if you went in the water, you were on your own, and the list on the ship was considerable. You could tell it looked like at first we were going to maybe roll over. The lights went out, and the ship rolled over, and I figured, well, it's the end. The torpedo had hit the side of the ship of the room I just stepped out of, killed every man in my division that was in there. Um, this fellow first class that I mentioned, he was on the phone at the time, just outside the door. It took off the back of his head. Um, it broke my lower left leg, both bones, it collapsed my lung, broke ribs, fractured my skull, blew out my eardrums. We had took the guy uh, down, down below, and I don't know how many runs I made up and down, you know, carrying wounded. And I saw all the bodies laying there on the tables that where Dr. Kiefer had been working on. I was told that he was in the officer's wardroom operating on more people. 34 were killed, another 172 were wounded. The care of these people was done by myself with the assistance of two corpsmen. minor surgery and I just had so much to do keeping people together, keeping their limbs attached to their body. We were in international waters. Uh, it was a beautiful day. You couldn't mistake us and our, and our flag was flying for crying out loud. They were gonna, there to kill us and it just didn't, didn't register. But here they were, Israeli. Uh, people and they were going to try to kill us. It was just a very, very appalling situation. A strange quiet descended on the Liberty crew. After the explosion, the pounding of machine gun bullets slowed and stopped. Fires were put out. The stunned, angry, and exhausted crew caught their collective breath. Limping at five knots toward sanctuary several hundred miles to the north, they had somehow survived one of the most ferocious sustained attacks ever on an American ship. Thirty-four were dead, 171 were wounded. All survivors had mental scars. There is not one single life raft. The 
the wounded are treated. Sailors remember that they were promised help. They expected that help. That help in the form of phantom jets from the USS Saratoga was on its way. It never arrived. It would be the next morning, 17 hours after the attack began, before they would see an American face. Finally, the USS David and later the USS Massey came alongside the Liberty. Many of their sailors wept as they boarded the Liberty, saw open decks stained with American blood and parts of American bodies on the deck. Helicopters from the USS America arrived several hours later to medevac the most seriously wounded Liberty sailors back to that carrier. The air attack by two squadrons of Israeli aircraft French-built Mirage 3s and Super Mistairs, 821 rocks and cannon holes were found in the Liberty. Canisters of napalm had torched the ship. After the ferocious air attack, Liberty was pounded by three Israeli torpedo boats. One of their six torpedoes struck the Liberty, left a gaping hole at the water line. There were thousands of holes from armor-piercing machine gun bullets. They sank life rafts, shot at firefighters and stretcher bearers at the bridge and into the engine room. Dr. Kiefer and his pharmacist mates perform in heroic fashion, as did all of them. Air Forces attacked the Golan Heights in a well-planned and executed strike. The attack, the recall, the jamming, the pounding, the torpedoes. Somehow the Liberty survived. And almost immediately, the second part of the outrage, cover-up by the Israeli and the American government began. I had to go to work at midnight, and I'm trying to sleep. You know, just thinking about how we had been so shafted by our government, the Israeli government, told to shut up, no chance to talk to one another, and it just, it angered me. It really, really angered me. On the day of the attack, I tried to coordinate communications. The Israelis had taken out all of our transmitting antennas. My RMs, not knowing any better during the strafing runs, were stringing long wires so that we could get an SOS out. And thanks to them, the ones that survived, we did get an SOS out to the USS America. Without George Golden, the ship would have sunk. Had it sunk, I assume when debris washed ashore the next day, it would have been blamed on Egypt. Many, many miracles that day. I shouldn't be here. After watertight integrity had been established and the hatch had been sailed, they reopened it as I floated by. Uh, Buddha Schnell, Bud Schnell, went down and pulled me out. None of us should be alive today. Much to my dismay, I personally witnessed the machine gunning of life rats as they floated by the Israeli torpedo boat crew members raked the life rafts thoroughly with machine gun fire, making sure that if there had been anyone in the life raft, they would have been.
after the Israeli torpedo blew a huge hole in the Liberty. The last three life rafts were put over the side. Israeli torpedo boats sank two of those rafts, took the third aboard. We were left with no rafts, nothing that could float. Shooting life rafts on a ship in distress is a war crime. Worst of all is what our government is doing to cover all this whole thing up. Um, when I heard that um, Johnson, in the heat of the battle, was uh, telling the Admiral Geis of the uh, Sixth Fleet that he didn't give a damn if every man drowned in the ship's sinks. He said, I don't give a damn if every man drowned in the ship's sinks. I don't want to embarrass our allies. That made me sort of wonder, with unmarked planes, how did he know it was our allies? We should have had planes on site 45 minutes into this two-hour attack, and they never showed. So did Israel apologize and then continue to attack us for an hour and 15 more minutes, or were we being lied to as to the conditions and why they recalled the planes? And because of the top-secret operation of Liberty and it being uh, the sensitivity of it being Israel, our closest ally, who accidentally attacked the ship, that we are ordered uh, not to grant any interviews. You know, don't discuss this among yourselves, referring to the attack. Uh, don't get over up on the beach drinking in the bars and running your mouth. And he says, in fact, if you go ashore in Malta, you will remove your ship's name from your jersey or go ashore in civilian clothes. Well, another light goes off in my mind. Here's a flag admiral in the middle of the gung-ho Sixth Fleet telling enlisted men to go ashore in civilian clothes that we're not even authorized to possess. And he says, you know, so that we won't be singled out and uh, be asked questions about it. And he says, don't discuss the attack among yourselves. Don't write your friends back home about it. He says, in fact, when you get back home, don't even discuss it with your wife and family. And he said quite sternly, just forget it ever happened. And he says that... Uh, repercussions for violating these orders to silence could result in your court-martial imprisonment for violating national security or worse. I noticed a very large helicopter uh, with Israeli markings hovering very close to us. I looked in the, uh, the door of the helicopter which was open and I could see uh, a number of Israelis carrying automatic weapons. They had just heard that the uh, uh, 6th Fleet had finally launched aircraft to come to our assistance, and so they just uh, they just left the scene. Helicopter gunships, I'm sure in my mind, would have picked off survivors if we'd abandoned ship. They were sent there to finish us off. The aircraft were sent to make us incommunicado so we couldn't send an SOS out. The torpedo boats were sent to sink us, and the helicopters were sent to pick off survivors so there'd be no choice. It was a perfectly executed military operation. If you look at the photographs of the Liberty after the attack, on the first strafing run, they used heat-seeking missiles that took out the tuning section of every transmitting antenna on the ship. In less than two seconds, they had taken out all our communication capability. The attack on the USS Liberty lasted as long as the attack on Pearl Harbor, about two hours. You've heard the outrageous, implausible Israeli version of the attack on Liberty, told by their first-hand observers. You've heard what actually happened, told by the valiant Liberty crew. Now, 
hear what some of America's greatest heroes and leaders have to say. Colonel Mitchell Page was the last Marine standing after repulsing a Japanese regiment on Guadalcanal. We all know that this was in international waters. It was an unprovoked, intentional attack on a U.S. vessel with one objective, to sink it and kill all aboard. Unprovoked attack. I think it was dastardly. I think it was betrayal of any friendship that we may have had with that nation and I think that it should be exposed to the entire world and all brought out so that the whole world would know the actual truth about that that particular day in 1967. And very widely you could see this was an American ship and not only did the Israelis attack it, they did this with their army, navy and air force. Badly wounded, Navy Master Chief Bob Bush held off a Japanese advance while saving his commanding officer's life. You know, it's, it's impossible for me to figure out why maybe I would sit here and attack you when we're friends. I mean, we're, they're, get, they're getting our money to buy those French airplanes. And then they turn around and attack our ship when they can see that it's our ship. It's absolutely uncalled for. Army Colonel Lou Millet led the last bayonet charge against vastly superior Chinese forces in Korea. I was in the World War II. I studied all the different types of aircraft so that when I shot at a plane, I made sure I shouldn't hit the enemy and not out. They know what those ships look like, and if they don't, I can't conceive that they don't know. I do know this. It was a criminal act. It was an act of war. It's as bad as Vietnam, allowing people to, who try to save people from tyranny to die for nothing. Admiral Thomas Morrow is the longest serving active four-star admiral in American history. He is the only American admiral to have commanded both the Atlantic and Pacific fleets. He was head of NATO forces, served as chief of naval operations, and chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff for two terms. The Navy's chief fighter, the F-14 Tomcat, was named after Admiral Tom Moore. The question is, uh, if the uh, Israelis uh, thought the, the frequencies they jammed were, in fact, uh, broadcast by the Egyptian ship, uh, why did they uh, uh, jam the American frequencies? There's no question about the fact that the jamming of the Liberty frequencies was deliberate and uh, uh, was undoubtedly ordered by high authority. Since uh, a large uh, part of the caches were caused by torpedo boats, could have been uh, uh, prevented from uh, making those attacks uh, by the aircraft that were on their way to help when they were recalled. modern American Navy destroyers were named the Arleigh E. Burke class of destroyer. And don't know yet why we didn't protect that ship. I don't know 
why the Israelis would take such terrific chances. It must have been something that was very important to them to decide to attack without considering the probability of war. Recuperating from serious throat surgery, the Saratoga skipper, Joe Tully, spoke about the launch and recall of protective aircraft. I had launch ready at that time, 12 aircraft, conventionally armed, and I immediately launched them. And to my surprise, the Americans did not launch. About the same time, uh, a message came from um, Rear Admiral Larry Geis, who was the carrier division commander, and who was not the officer in tactical command, but who was senior to me, who had somehow been given tactical command, or assumed it, ordering the strike aircraft to return to Saratoga. And it was the first time that the hotline, the red line between Washington and Moscow, had been activated, and the message from the United States to Chairman Kosygin at the time was, advise General Nasser that the American planes are going to be launched to determine what the status of the Liberty was. I have spent a large part of my life flying over the oceans and identifying ships. And this ship was perhaps the easiest ship to identify that was uh, listed in the United States Navy. Equipped with antenna from bow to stern, pointing in every direction. It reminds one of a large, vigorous lobster. And a look that made it extremely easy to recognize. And so I will never, never buy the idea that uh, the pilots thought this was uh, some other ship. And it appeared from the ferocity of the attack that the intent of the attackers was to sink the ship. Maybe they hoped to have no survivors so that they would not be held accountable for the attack after it occurred. We didn't know who was attacking us. They didn't know who was attacking us. Well, I don't know how Washington can say, don't go, because they're friends of ours. So that's the thing that's always bothered me right there. I never myself accepted the Israeli purported explanation. Um, accidents don't occur through repeated attacks by surface vessels and by aircraft. It obviously was a decision taken pretty high up in, on the Israeli side because it involved combined forces. Um, the ship was flying an American flag. Even if it had been unidentified from a, an, an Israeli point of view, uh, it was a reckless thing for them to do. Suppose it had been a Soviet ship. That could have produced very large problems indeed. George Ball, the brilliant and courageous Undersecretary of State at the time of the 67 war, wrote about the attack on the Liberty subsequently. He said, The ultimate lesson of the Liberty attack was that it had far more effect on policy in Israel than in America. Israel's leaders concluded that nothing they might do would offend the Americans to the point of reprisal. If America's leaders did not have the courage to punish Israel, 
for the recent murder of American citizens, it seemed clear that their American friends would let them get away with almost anything. General of the Navy, Rear Admiral Merlin Starring, was given less than 24 hours to review the 600-page Court of Inquiry report. In the course of my career as a Navy lawyer, I have been called upon to review and take actions upon uh, hundreds of investigations of various uh, degrees of importance and volume. This is the only instance in which a record of such an investigation has been withdrawn from me after I had been asked to review it and I had not been given an opportunity to complete my advice to the convening authority. As you know, it's a, a voluminous document. And one of the things that uh, I initially had difficulty with and still do is the fact that the very first statement of fact that the court arrived at and presented was this. Available evidence combines to indicate the attack on liberty on 8 June was in fact a case of mistaken identity. Now that is the sort of thing in this record that I found great difficulty in supporting from the evidence that was included. I'm convinced that it was withdrawn from me in this instance because of my statement to Captain Boston that I was having serious problems with the evidence that was available to support the statement's fact. In the subsequent cover-up, the Israelis maintained that they thought the Liberty was the small Egyptian freighter 
the Alcusser. This was not credible. Not only was the Liberty flying a large American flag, but it was five times as large as the Alcusser, and its profile was unique. It bore no resemblance whatsoever to the Egyptian ship. Tordello was the deputy director at the time of the attack. Tordello, when he received the copy of the, uh, the Israeli uh, mistake explanation, wrote across the top of it a nice whitewash. He didn't believe it at all. And he later wrote another memorandum for the record indicating that uh, he thought that uh, the most likely explanation was that uh, the Israelis attacked the Liberty because uh, they didn't want the Liberty to hear what was going on in the Sinai. Um, and this is the highest professional at NSA. Uh, in addition, the, the uh, director of NSA uh, at the time, Marshall Carter, um, told me that uh, he thought it was deliberate. In addition to that, he was very uh, offended in another memorandum he wrote that um, it appeared that the uh, Johnson administration wanted to cover up the whole thing. They actually wanted to sink the ship so that Israel wouldn't be embarrassed. Admiral Kidd, uh, when he came aboard our ship to interview the survivors, uh, he got us in small groups, three or four or five sailors, and he would ask us questions. The first thing he did is uh, he took off his stars, laid them on the table, and said, listen, open up to me and talk to me just like, her. I'm just, one of, just like you, one of you. So we did. We trusted him. We opened up with our hearts. We told him exactly the way we felt what happened, what we saw, and when that was done, he put his stars back on, on his lapel, and he ordered us not to say anything to anybody, our families, friends, shipmates, anyone. If we did, we faced the possibility of a court-martial, penitentiary, or worse, and everyone knew what worse meant. Actually, he scared the death out of me. I didn't talk about the attack to anyone for almost 20 years. Not knowing why they did this and what, and not having our government back us then and now. This is an open sore. It's, uh, it's festering uh, to this day. It's not going away. I think it's important that we do have an investigation. I, I would never give up on that until I'm too old to come to these things. It needs to be done. Pete Buecher from the Pueblo said he wouldn't even gone if he could have known what really happened to us. All he knew was some piddly little thing he heard about on the news. In late 1991, Dwight Porter, who was ambassador to Lebanon during the 1967 war, told columnist Evans and Novak that immediately after the attack on the Liberty, the CIA station chief handed him intercepted messages between the Israeli war room and their planes. The pilots were given orders to attack the ship, and they replied immediately that it was an American ship. The Israeli headquarters responded, you have your orders, attack the ship. The pilots tried once again, but it's an American ship, we can see its flag. And headquarters insisted, you have your orders, attack it. And attack it they did, and the consequences are well known. So one of the things I found out was that uh, that had never been discovered before uh, was the fact that at the time the Liberty was attacked, the NSA also had an eavesdropping plane flying high above the scene of the action. 
It was an EC-121, and uh, during the entire course of the war, the U.S. Uh, had uh, eavesdropping planes going over the um, area, collecting signals, eavesdropping on what was going on below. And this plane was uh, flying right over the scene of the attack, and I talked to two of the crew members of the plane, and both of them agreed that the, what they heard were comments from both the pilots and the torpedo boat uh, uh, personnel uh, mentioning the U.S. flag. Uh, now that flies in the face of what the Israeli explanation says. The Israeli explanation says nobody on either the plane or the ships ever saw a U.S. flag. Evans and Novak got further confirmation of the Israeli attack from an American-born Israeli major, Seth Metz, who was in the Israeli war room at the time of the attack. He told reporters, quote, Everyone felt that it was an American ship and that it was the Liberty. There were comments about the markings, about the flag. Everybody in the room was convinced it was an American ship, unquote. Mintz told Evanson Novak that the Israelis were guilty of an outrage. True. But the American suppression of the truth was an equal outrage. Well, at the time the Liberty was off the coast of the Sinai, off the coast of uh, um, where El Arish was on the uh, Sinai Peninsula, um, according to Israeli uh, military historians uh, who, who wrote reports of it at the time, uh, and other eyewitnesses, the um, Israeli military was uh, killing prisoners, Egyptian prisoners, uh, committing war crimes, uh, desperate acts of, uh, of uh, war crimes in order to, uh, so they wouldn't have to transport the prisoners because they had no place to put the prisoners. They decided to take the most expedient method and, and just kill them. If the planes dispatched in Saratoga had continued to the rescue, the Israelis would have been driven off. But Washington took the Israelis at their word. They said they had recognized their error and they apologized. And the attack had already stopped, they said. But they were lying. The attack continued for another hour and 20 minutes, during which 25 more American sailors died and 110 more were wounded. All would have been spared if the American planes sent to help them had not been recalled by Washington. The point was the attack did take place. There were a lot of reasons that the Israelis would have wanted to hide things from the U.S. And that's why there is a need for investigation. Um, I mean, you're not going to take the, the word of somebody who was uh, the principal person who caused it. Uh, that'd be like uh, taking the word of a defendant in a, uh, in a, in a shooting. Every one of the thousand odd clashes between Syria and Israel between 1948 and 1967 was examined by the UN Supervisory Commission, which found out that only a very, very few had been caused by the Syrians. A few dozen of the clashes were ambiguous, and all of the rest were caused by Israel. Well, there were many officers in many nations, and they all report the same thing.
secret until April 1997, but it was published in an Israeli newspaper. It has been authenticated by Israeli historians, and General Diane's daughter, Yael, a member of the Knesset, insisted that it be published. Why did he give the order to invade? Essentially, it was because of pressure from the would-be settlers in the Golan, who convinced Levi Eshkol, the Israeli Prime Minister, to occupy the heights and the fertile lands beyond. And when asked if that were all there was to it, Diane replied, I can tell you with absolute confidence that they were not thinking about security. They were thinking about the heights land. I saw them. I spoke with them. They didn't even try to hide their greed for that land. The best one is the one where they wanted to go on heights. And Johnson said, that's enough, that's enough. And they needed another day to get the Golan Heights, which they still have, which I didn't think you were supposed to do, take land from another country and keep it. If we could get the truth of the liberty out, that it would change history, I think, in this country. I cannot, absolutely can't see why our American newspapers and TV people have helped to cover this up, but not covering some of our stories. The Navy Board of Inquiry would not admit testimony about the jamming, the recall, the unmarked planes, the shooting of life rafts, and other material that we tried to present. They asked questions. We were allowed to answer those questions, period. The Navy Board of Inquiry would not admit testimony about the jamming, the recall, the unmarked planes, the shooting of life rafts, and other material that we tried to present. They asked questions. We were allowed to answer those questions, period. They put me into a ward with 12 to 13 other patients, and within 30 minutes, they removed me from that ward and put me into a single room. I noticed that I had a name tag with Smith on, and right after I noticed that, an officer came in and told me that from now on, my name is Smith, I was never on the Liberty, and I was never ever to talk about it to anyone. I still have 53 pieces of shrapnel in me today. Never before has the U.S. Navy ignored eyewitness testimony of American military to accept on faith the story told by their attackers. Certain entries in the ship's log of June 8th have raised serious questions. There, nobody knew who was wounded or how severely. This had not been established until days after reaching Malta. The log also minimized the duration of the attack by over an hour and a half conveniently fitting the Israeli version. It then documented the number of wounded, not as the actual 172, but at the widely published media figure of 75. There should be a congressional committee, both Senate and House, to examine all the data available. And it's, it's getting late to do this because Mike McGonagall, God bless his soul, is gone. I know that Bill was in on board the USS Liberty, and the ship was off the coast at Gaza Strip, as I recall. And yet, our government printed, put it in writing, in the United States Senate book of Congressional Medal of Honor recipients that he received his medal for action in Vietnam. Now, to me, that is one of the worst cover-ups in American history. How low can our government go? And it's something that I'd like to see totally investigated and a, a, a closure of this 
issue because I think President Johnson was the villain on it. I think he recalled the people that were to defend this ship. I have never accepted the Israeli explanation, and so far as I am concerned, the affair of the USS Liberty remains a scar on the relations between Israel and the United States. Things like this don't happen. Things are caused to happen. There must be some reason, some reason why more is not known. There must be some reason why we didn't react more deliberately, more directly, more positively, as we have reacted many times in our history before and since. As a Marine, I'm proud to say that three members of the Liberty crew were Marines. Two of them died that day, but Bryce Lockwood was decorated for saving sailors' lives. And Bill McGonigal, the skipper of the Liberty, was awarded the Medal of Honor for action above and beyond the call of duty. And I firmly believe after review of the, of the documentation of this film that an in-depth, honest investigation, inquiry into what really happened that day is owed to the members of the crew, their family, and all Americans. We need to take some very serious efforts to uh, bring out the full story. And on that basis, I would certainly recommend that we pursue this with diligence. We go to the Congress and, uh, and urge them to conduct a, a, a formal, complete uh, investigation to get the full story about our, the loss of our great ship, the Liberty. In the case of the Liberty, this is the first time, to my knowledge, where a United States warship has been attacked without warning and uh, no action whatever was taken to investigate this situation on the part of the Congress. I have urged this over and over again, and I still think that the attack on the Liberty warrants a full-fledged uh, investigation by the Congress of the United States. Those murdered that day must not have died in vain. The plea for justice by the Navy's most decorated crew should forever haunt us. Americans must never forget this second day of infamy and our own unbalanced foreign policy in the Middle East that precipitated it. What does it really cost? Well, if the U.S. federal government applied its own truth in labeling laws to the price of goods and services produced in this country, we'd quickly see 30% of the retail price goes to federal taxes. 
Another 10% is what it cost American businesses to comply with federal regulations. For some businesses, it's even more. Add it up. About 40% of every dollar you spend is directly attributed to federal corporation taxes and or federal income taxes. And this doesn't include the approximate 8% for state taxes and up to an additional 10% for excise taxes. Take a $30,000 car. Subtract the federal taxes and regulatory costs and that same car would cost you $18,000. A $75 sweater. Eliminate the federal taxes and regulatory costs and the sweater would cost $45. A $60 bag of groceries, $36. A $79 pair of shoes, $47.40. A dollar value meal double cheeseburger, $0.60. Cents. Seem more affordable? Now take a $400,000 new home. Eliminate the federal government's share. And that same home would cost you $240,000. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money in your pocket. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to take a vacation. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to pay off loans. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to save for retirement. Eliminate federal taxes, and you'd have more money to buy that wake home. And that's on the things you buy. Now let's look at what they take from your paycheck. Eliminate the federal income taxes, Social Security, and Medicare deductions, and a $52,000 wage earner's net pay would jump from $1,500 to $1,986.50. Add it up. Nearly 25% of what you earn goes directly to the federal government, and 40% of what you spend goes directly to the federal government. That's 65% in hidden costs. What do you get in return? Let's take Social Security. Depending on your income, you may pay into the system three to $500 per month. At retirement, the maximum payout is $2,053 per month. And even that is taxed if you have additional income. But what would happen if a married couple saved $300 a month each over 35 years at 7% compounded interest? You would have over $1 million. The nearly $75,000 annual interest of income alone far exceeds the Social Security maximum annual payout. And you still have your million-dollar nest egg to provide for yourself and pass down to your children, your grandchildren, or even pay for your children's education. Ready to take your money back? Reduce the tax burden on America, and all of a sudden, there's more money circulating in the economy. Take your money back, and all of a sudden, our products and services are more competitively priced at home and abroad. 
take your money back. And all of a sudden, it's profitable again to manufacture products in the United States. Take your money back. And all of a sudden, American companies are hiring highly skilled, highly paid workers to meet their manufacturing demand. Take your money back. And all of a sudden, America would be the stable economic leader of the free world again. Seem far-fetched? It's not. Could the government operate without federal income taxes? Yes. Prior to 1913, there was no federal income tax. Don't we need the federal agencies that federal taxes support? No. Agencies supported by federal taxes, such as the FDA, ATF, and the IRS, are regulatory agencies. Not only are these federal agencies unconstitutional, they are illegal. The free market would regulate itself better, with greater efficiency. Americans would be richer and freer. And the cost of these agencies have grown out of control. The Bureau of Economic Analysis Statistics for 2005 reported the average salary for the 1.8 million federal civilian workers is $106,579. The average salary in the U.S. private sector is $53,289, less than half. Wouldn't charitable organizations suffer? No. Currently, 75% of American families give to charity. With more money in their pockets, Americans would be even more generous with their donations. So, what would we give up? Nothing. Since federal income taxes support only 42% of the total federal budget, the government would still operate effectively with the remaining 58% of the budget. And federal workers would be absorbed into the burgeoning economy by the private sector. To put it in perspective, Reducing the $2.8 trillion 2007 federal budget by 42% would still leave $1.6 trillion, the same amount as the total federal budget for 1997. There would be no need for a national sales tax that only replaces one tax for another, and it will not reduce government spending. But. These numbers pale by comparison if you consider the national debt. As of January 2008, our country's public debt is over $9 trillion. The estimated population of the United States is 304 million. That means each citizen's share of the debt is $30,241, and that's over and beyond what you pay in taxes. Regardless of which political party is in control, there's no incentive for politicians to reduce spending. The only way to end this spending spree is to take away the government's checkbook and credit card and let them know the joyride is over. Thank <laughs> you.